Hello, people of the way. Blessings in Jesus. If you have your Bible, please open up to Hebrews chapter 5. Hebrews chapter 5. We continue our study through the New Testament. And, you know, it's so beautiful to have this backdrop. If you've been walking with us for a while, uh, to have this backdrop of our studies through the book of Exodus, uh, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, and then also the epistles, Paul's letters to the churches, uh, 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 Paul's letters to the pastors. It's, it's so beautiful because now we're in the book of Hebrews and it just, it's so beautiful and marvelous to know what the Lord has done and how good he is. Now, when we speak on these subject matters, such as in Hebrews chapter five, verse one speaks of, you know, for every high priest, it's, you know, with the backdrop of our prior studies in, in Exodus, now we know like, oh my goodness, Lord, like you had everything, uh, everything put in place. You gave the blueprints to Moses, uh, and those blueprints were passed on to Joshua. Now you have the establishment of the priesthood. And it's so beautiful to have this backdrop and this base plate because it just points to the, how beautiful our Lord is. And so if you remember our study from last week and last week when, you know, when we see in, in, uh, in, uh, chapter four, how the writer brings up, it's Jesus who is high priest and he's passed through the heavens and sympathizes with our weaknesses. And now we continue in chapter five. And here we are in verse one. For every high priest taken from among men is appointed for men in things pertaining to God. Now, these are things that we did study and we have studied in great length through Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. And then we see the qualifications for the priesthood and the qualifications for the high priest. Now, do you remember, for example, how, how the law states that the Lord will speak to the high priest and, you know, the high priest will go and speak to the people in a thus saith the Lord kind of manner, or I shouldn't say kind of manner, but that's precisely what the Lord says that he will do. But then as you continue in studying the Old Testament and you see Eli, who is high priest, it's like, well, wait a second. Why is it that the Bible says that there was no widespread revelation in those days? Why is it that the Bible says the Lord was silent in those days? When the Lord says that he will speak to the high priest, why wasn't he speaking to Eli? You see, it's because the formula wasn't right in Eli. That's why. That's precisely why. And, you know, you see how when the Lord uh, uh, wasn't speaking to Eli and you understand why he wasn't speaking to Eli, because the high priest had wickedness. And, you know, who had ears to hear? Little Samuel. Little Samuel, it's so beautiful. And then even Samuel, he didn't, he didn't realize and understand that it was the Lord speaking to him. And then he goes to Eli and Eli says, you know, okay, say, you know, here I am, Lord. And so finally, when Samuel heard the voice of the Lord, he says, here I am, Lord. And when the Lord spoke, it was judgment on the house of Eli. I mean, picture that morning. Picture that morning where Eli, the high priest, I mean, the high priest in those days, they, I mean, they had the accolades of men. They had, I mean, they were kind of a big deal. You know, I shouldn't say kind of a big deal. The high priest straight up was a big deal. And so you have the high priest. Picture that morning where Eli, you know, hey, Samuel, what, 
What was it that the, the, the Lord said to you? I mean, you know, when, you know, Samuel, he just says, you know, say, here I am, Lord. So, you know, Samuel, you know, uh, uh, Eli saying to Samuel, you know, Eli told Samuel, you know, Samuel say, say, here I am, Lord. But picture Eli that morning, Eli, the high priest, who's a big deal in terms of men, in terms of the carnal nature, Eli's a big deal. And so, you know, Eli saying to Samuel, you know, Samuel, did, did you, did you hear the voice again? And did you do what I told you to do? And little Samuel, he's not a full grown male. He's a little boy. Yeah, I, 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 I did what you said, Eli. I, I don't know, first name basis, you know, probably there, there's, you know, acknowledgement that he's high priest, but you know, I did what you said, Eli. And what did the voice tell you? What was it that the Lord spoke to you? And it's, you know, put yourself in Samuel's shoes. Put yourself in Samuel's sandals. You know, uh, uh, the Lord says that he's going to kill your kids, Eli. The Lord says he's going to kill you too. That's heavy. Why? Because the formula wasn't right in Eli. The formula wasn't right in his kids, his, his wicked sons. And yet they're the priesthood. Eli is high priest and the law says that, you know, thus saith the Lord, you know, I will speak to the high priest. But yet the Lord wasn't speaking to Eli. The Lord spoke to Samuel, the prophet. And you know, it's so powerful when you understand formula, Old Testament and New Testament, you understand the formula and it's a holy recipe. You understand that not just for pastors, not just for uh, uh, elders, not just for priests. And when I say priests, I'm speaking of Old Testament. I don't mean priests like modern day priests. Modern day priests, I mean, you know, you, you, there's a priesthood in the Old Testament. But you don't see a priesthood in the New Testament. As New Covenant believers, you don't see a priesthood. You see pastors, you see elders, you see shepherds in that regard. But you don't see a priesthood like you see in Catholicism or, you know, some Lutheran or Methodist churches. And you understand formula, and not just for leadership. What about formula for all of us as Christians? Living lives sacrificially unto the Lord. Living lives that are pleasing to the Lord. Living lives as a sweet aroma unto the Lord. I mean, when you understand the qualifications for priesthood and, and high priest in accordance to what the Lord says in the Old Testament and how the Lord gave the blueprints to Moses, Remember when Moses was speaking to Pharaoh before they, uh, before the Exodus? And Moses was speaking to Pharaoh and says, you know, you know, thus saith the Lord, let my people go. But then at the same time, you know, you know, it happened several times. And then towards the end, Pharaoh was like, fine, fine, Moses, leave. Take your people and leave. But leave the flocks. Leave the animals. And Moses said, no. I mean, put yourself in Moses' sandals where, you know, the Lord says, you know, go to Egypt and, 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 and free my people and go to Pharaoh and tell him, you know, let my people go and put yourself in Moses' sandals where, you know, all of a sudden Pharaoh says, okay, Moses, go take your people and go. It seems like, wow, you know, look, the, the, the door has opened. Praise be to the Lord. Look, we're finally free. You're finally free. But Moses says, no. We're not going to leave on your terms, Pharaoh. 
That's not what the Lord says. The Lord says that all of us, our men, our women, our children, I mean, I shouldn't say in that order, you know, the women, the children, the men, all of us, but not just us alone, the animals too. The animals too. And Moses even says to Pharaoh, I don't know why we need the animals, but God said all of us with our flocks. Unbeknownst to Moses, Moses, Moses didn't receive the blueprints at that time. But unbeknownst to Moses, they would need a lot of animals. Why? Because they would need a lot of blood. Why? Because there's a lot of trespass, a lot of sin. You see? And with the sin, what do we see? Activation of the priesthood. Where the priesthood, they don't get on a high horse well, in accordance to the blueprints. The priesthood, they don't get on a high horse and be like, oh, look, I am awesome. You know, I am awesome. I'm so cool. And look at, I'm the best. And everybody has to look up to me and all this stuff. No, that's carnal. And that's what you see in the later chapters of the Old Testament. I mean, you know, ultimately, when you get into the very beginning of the New Testament, you see the priesthood, they're against Jesus. The priesthood, they're against the apostles. The priesthood, they want to kill Jesus. They want to kill the apostles. They want to kill Peter. They want to beat Peter. They want to kill him. They want to beat Paul. They want to kill him because they were blind. They didn't have eyes to see. But when you understand the formula, the blueprints that the Lord gave to Moses, okay, let's get you cleaned up. There's trespass in the camp. Let's get you cleaned up. There's a purpose. There's a purpose to be right before the Lord, for God's people to be right before him. Old Testament, New Testament, New Covenant, and even today, to be right before the Lord. And so we see here in verse 1 that every high priest taken from among men is appointed for men in things pertaining to God that he may offer both gifts and sacrifices for sin. Just like we said, let's get you cleaned up. And then in verse 2, he can have compassion. And I love this so much because remember verse 1, every high, pe- every high priest taken from among men. I mean, you remember the strange fire of Nadab and Abihu? The sons of Aaron, remember the strange fire? I mean, their perspective was like, okay, look, it's just fire for the Lord. No big deal. Little fire here. But God sees it as a very big deal. And when the formula was wrong, that's the fire that killed them. They want to offer strange fire? Okay. Remember, the Lord is reactionary. You say, well, wait a second, how come, how come the, the, the Lord didn't kill anybody else with fire? Well, to him is given, much more is required. You have in the priesthood held to a stricter account. You say, okay, that's the Old Testament. No, 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 no. It's the same today for pastors, for teachers, for overseers, elders, held to a stricter account. You see? Fear of the Lord is a good thing. It's the beginning of wisdom. And I love the Bible says the beginning of wisdom. You know what that means? Since it's the beginning of wisdom, that means there's more. Wisdom upon wisdom upon wisdom. But the very beginning is the fear of the Lord. Nadab and Abihu, they didn't have it. 
No, it's just fire for the, okay, look, a little fire over here, no big deal, how we acquired it, and, you know, the state of our heart, you know, the condition of our heart, okay, strange fire, you know, we're just going to put this fire here, just like Moses said, no, 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 Moses says, as the Lord said to him, but the formula's got to be right, the formula's got to be right, just like when the Lord, when he's speaking to the Pharisees and when the what the what the Bible and you know the word became flesh what the Bible says of the Bereans to the Bereans you know they search the scriptures to the Pharisees they also search the scriptures but to the Pharisees Jesus says you think they have eternal life why is it that the both the Bereans and the Pharisees can search the scriptures but for one camp, it is not a good thing. Why is that? It's because of formula. In the Bereans, right formula. In the Pharisees, wrong formula. And I'm not, uh, you know, uh, the same text, the Bereans, they, they search the scriptures, which is the exact same text as the Pharisees. The Pharisees search the scriptures too. Why is it not profitable for the Pharisees? It's because the condition of their heart. They searched the scriptures because they wanted to trap Jesus. Oh, let's look for this. Let's look for this. And, you know, let, let's try and trap Jesus. You see, their motivation, the condition of their heart was wrong, was carnal, wrong formula. But for the Bereans, Beautiful, beautiful, beautiful formula. The condition of their heart was pure before the Lord. And they searched the scriptures and all of a sudden the scriptures were alive to them. You see? And Jesus says to the Pharisees, you search the scriptures because in them you think there is eternal life. Now, there absolutely is eternal life in the word of God. Absolutely. But the formula's got to be right. For the Bereans, good. Pharisees, bad. And both search the scriptures. You see, it's a matter of the heart. It's a matter of the heart. And so, you know, it, it, this, when we think about the strange fire of the sons of Aaron, yeah, they, they were killed by the Lord. But the formula wasn't right in them. You see, we're not talking about just warm bodies to fill a position. Hey, we need a priest over here. Or, hey, we need a pastor over here. Or, hey, we need an elder over here. You, you. Hey, you, you know, we need a warm body over here. No, that's not how it works. I meant just for serving in tables. And I, 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 not to neglect, you know, serving in tables. Not to say that that's a menial task. But just for serving in tables, do you remember when there was a beef that arose in the early church? And this beef that arose in the early church, what happened is that, you know, there was a little um, carnality in terms of the division that arose because there were, you know, the Greek Jews that weren't being given, uh, you know, certain attentions. And the disciples or the apostles, you know what they said? They says, like, we're not going to be over this matter. We're not going to be over this matter. Now, picture that in, in today's terms, in today's environment. You know how many people would get mad at a pastor? You know how many people would get mad at somebody who's called to shepherd when the shepherd says, 
we're not going to do that. And it's not a, a pride sense. Of, oh, you know, serving in tables is beneath me. Or serving in tables is beneath us. No. But they know their calling. The apostle says, you know, the Lord, you know, we're going to continue in the word. The Lord called us to spread the word. And that's what we're going to continue doing. You see, the Lord, he calls, you know, the, 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 the different diversities of gifts, but different diversities of callings. Some evangelists, some pastors, some teachers. And the apostles say, no, but to serve in tables, he says, choose from among you. Any warm body? No. Any warm body? No. Men full of the Spirit. Full of the Spirit. You see? That's in the book of Acts. It's so it's not just warm body. You see, formula, the formula's gotta be right. And we speak of formula in leadership. We speak of formula in ministries. But, you know, sometimes, you know, you get in a, a mindset of like, well, you know, I'm, I just sit in the pews. No big deal. Well, there's a formula for us, too. There's a formula for everybody. There's a formula of sanctuary. There's a formula for pastor. There's a formula for elder. And there's a formula for the saints. You see, for all Christians, we're all one in Christ. There is no Jew, nor Gentile, nor slave, nor free, nor male, nor female. You see, it's not just warm bodies. Special formula. It's holy. Living sacrificially unto the Lord. And so at the same time, you know, when we when we understand this concept, I don't like saying concept, but I just don't know how else to describe it. But when we understand this, you also understand why God is silent when he's silent. Like with Eli, the formula was wrong in him. The formula was wrong in his kids. And, you know, no, the Lord was silent. Not not to Samuel, because in Samuel, the formula was right. And I love that so much. You know why? Mama Hannah. I'm so in love with Samuel. I'm so in love with Hannah because she taught him well. You see, God was silent. What about when there's a famine of the word of God? Think about the condition of the heart of the people when there's a famine of the word of God. You see? And the formula for overseers and the formula for the those who are overseen, remember, Ecclesia. Ecclesia. Well, the word church is ecclesia. It's not just, you know, it's not just a social club. It's not a social club at all. Even though it's treated like a social club. But ecclesia in the Greek is a body of those who are called. That's how it translates. A body of those who are called. You see? Consecrated. And as Hebrews 1 says, God speaks through his son. God speaks through his son. And that's where, you know, we got to be very careful to understand covenants. Very careful because we are a people of the new covenant. The old covenant, that's the law. And in the law is death. And we abide in the fulfillment of the law, which is Jesus Christ. John 1, the word became flesh. You see? 
And so as verse 1 says here in Hebrews 5 that, yes, every high priest taken from among men is appointed for men in things pertaining to God, that he may offer both gifts and sacrifices for sins. In verse 2, he can have compassion on those who are ignorant and going astray. On those who are ignorant, ignorant and going astray. Now, this word for ignorant is lack of information or lack of intelligence. And it's through ignorance or disinclination, which is reluctance. You see? So any, anybody, anybody can say, well, I didn't know. But another question can be asked. Another question can be asked is, why? Someone says, oh, I didn't know, I didn't know, I didn't know. Well, okay, why? And then they give an answer. Well, I didn't know because I'm a brand new believer. Now, that's understandable. That's completely understandable. Sometimes there are Christians, beautiful, beautiful saints, who do not know the deeper things of the word of God simply because they are a baby Christian. They are a brand new believer. I mean, you know, somebody who receives Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior last week, just last week, they're a fresh baby believer, brand new believer. They're not going to have the depth of knowledge that comes in understanding the word of God for five years. I mean, you know, for five months, they're just not going to have that depth of knowledge. When somebody says, well, I don't know, because I'm a brand new believer, that's completely understandable. But understand that there's still a little dilemma there. Because that person, that baby Christian, needs a teacher to teach and explain. And you know what? God calls people to teach and explain and shepherd and pastor. Remember the formula. Remember the formula. The formula for pastors. Not, you know, if you've been walking with us for a while, you remember our studies through the pastoral epistles. You know, there's package one, package two, package three, package four. We're talking full package. You see? So somebody can say, well, I didn't know because I'm a brand new believer. Remember, someone says, I didn't know, but then... The question can be asked, well, why did it? Why didn't you know? And the person says, well, I'm a, I, I'm, I'm a new believer. I just became a Christian last week. Okay, understandable. You need a teacher still. It's understandable. But you need a teacher to help you. To teach you. So that you can grow and mature in Christ. But then, you, you know, somebody says, well, I didn't know. I didn't know. And then the question is posed again, well, why didn't you know? And this is a different person. And he says, well, I didn't know because I'm reluctant. Through disinclination. I didn't know because I'm reluctant. Now something's a little different. Where before it's like, okay, you know, the the baby, understandable, this person needs a teacher. But now it's a little different because when someone doesn't know because they're reluctant, There are several things that are being revealed and such a person needs a disciplinarian. A disciplinarian, you see? Because he did know, notice, he did know, 
but he wasn't willing to obey. He was unwilling to obey. That's the reluctance. Somebody says, well, I didn't know, I didn't know, I didn't know. Well, there was the knowledge base there. But there was no willingness to obey, no obedience. You say, whoa, you're going a little too far. The person needs a disciplinarian? What are you talking about? Well, look at Paul. Look at Paul. Because some might say, well, Paul's so mean. He's not loving. He's not Christ-like. I mean, if you've been walking with us for a while, you know exactly what we mean. Because do you remember in 1 Corinthians? Paul says to Christians, I mean, First uh, Corinthians chapter 1, everybody, you know, they're saints. First Corinthians chapter 2, they're saints. First Corinthians, First Corinthians chapter 3, they're saints. Babies, you know, he explains that, you know, in, in 1 Corinthians 3, you guys are babies. 1 Corinthians chapter 4, saints. 1 Corinthians chapter 5, separate. You see, when he says to the saints, your rejoicing isn't good. That's what Paul says. You have Paul, in an overseer, a shepherd, Saying to saints, your rejoicing is not a good thing. Picture that for a moment, if you will. A group of Christians gathering together, you think like, wow, you know, an assembly of the saints. It's a beautiful thing. And, you know, just as the Bible says, let no one forsake the assembly of the saints. Well, what happens when they forsook the Lord? You see? How? Through disobedience to the Lord. And that's why Paul says your rejoicing isn't good. That's what I mean when we say, you know, they need a disciplinarian. Paul was a disciplinarian. Among other things, he was a teacher, a shepherd, a pastor. I would call him a, a pastor of pastors. Just as he was a pastor of Pastor Timothy, a pastor of Pastor Titus. And Paul says to the saints, your rejoicing isn't good. Why is it that the rejoicing in Corinth wasn't a good thing? The gathering of the saints, it's so beautiful. Picture that where all these Christians, all these saints, they're babies. As evidence in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, where Paul just straight up says, you're babies. But then in chapter 5, he says, listen, you guys, you, you're rejoicing. It's not a good thing. I meant Christians gathering, you know, praise the Lord, hallelujah, we worship and all these things. And all of a sudden, somebody brings a letter in. Hey, guys, we got a letter from Paul. We got a letter from Paul. Okay, read it. Somebody read it. And, you know, somebody stands up and reads the letter. You know, chapter one, oh, cool, we're all saints. Chapter two, beautiful, we're all saints. Chapter 3, we're saints, but we're babies. Whoa, that's a little mean, Paul. That's not very Christ-like, Paul. You're so mean, Paul. That's not very loving, Paul. But we'll endure what you have to say, Paul. 1 Corinthians chapter 4, you're saints. Okay, 1 Corinthians chapter 5, your rejoicing isn't good. Whoa, Paul, what are you talking about? That's so mean, Paul. What do you mean? Look, we gather here together. Keep reading 1 Corinthians chapter 5. Separate. 
identify who the leaven is and separate from the leaven. You know what the leaven was? The works of the flesh. The extortion, the sex, the alcohol, revilers, the works of the flesh. That was the leaven. Now, 1 Corinthians, those were saints. When you look at the book of Acts and you read the, you, you, you look at the timeline, it was three years, three years arrested development. There was no growth, no maturity in Christ. And so Paul was serving the Lord as disciplinarian for the saints. It was the Lord who was doing the work, but using vessel Paul. You see, and the vessel Chloe. Don't forget, beautiful vessel Chloe. So someone could look at Paul. I mean, say the, say the leaven where, you know, they were saints. Paul says, chapter 1, 1 Corinthians 1, saints, 2, saints, 3, saints, 4, saints, 5, separate. Now picture the leaven. They believe in Jesus Christ, but there's no obedience to Jesus Christ. I wonder what they might have said of Paul. Oh, that you... you that, Paul is causing division. Paul is causing division. He's so mean. He's so mean. He's not very loving. He's not very Christ-like. But then you put yourself in Chloe's sandals. I got no issue with Paul. I like Paul. Put yourself in Eunice's sandals. I like Paul. In Lois's sandals. You know what? I, I like Paul. What about Onesiphorus? Remember we, we studied Onesiphorus who wasn't ashamed of Paul when everybody was ashamed of Paul and people were leaving Paul. Pastors, elders, they were leaving Paul. The saints in Asia were leaving Paul. Onesiphorus, he wasn't ashamed of Paul. You see? Why? Because you look at the formula. The form, there was a guy in Corinth who was having sex with his dad's wife. Sexual relations with his dad's wife. And Paul says, not even the Gentiles, not even the non-believers do this. And this is happening in the church. You take that guy. Throw the the gal in there too, because it takes two to tango. Picture what, what they think of Paul. They believe in Jesus, but they're not obeying Jesus. Instead of having works of the spirit, they have works of the flesh. And for three, this isn't like, you know, like uh, 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 for, you know, a month or two months. This is three years arrested development, uncorrected by their defunct pastors, defunct elders. And so Paul says, separate. You see? And Paul's method, when we say disciplinarian, it's not like, hey, you know, know, we're going to beat you to a pulp. No. No, not at all. Paul's method of discipline presented a choice in teaching. Listen, this is righteousness. This is wicked. You know, on one side, this is righteousness. The other side, this is wickedness. Balls in your court. Because if you choose righteousness, there needs to be repentance. Let's get you cleaned up. 
Let's get you cleaned up. Remember, we're not of the law. It's not like, okay, you're 11. Now we're going to stone you. No. There's only one who was qualified to stone. His name is Jesus Christ, and he doesn't stone. I mean, there will be judgment, but not yet. This door of grace and mercy, it's open. It's not going to be open forever. It's not open like it was 2,000 years ago. It's not open like it was 100 years ago. This door of grace, it's going to close. And so understand when we when we see, that's what's so beautiful about having this backdrop because we're in Hebrews 5, but if you've been walking with us for a while, we have such a tremendous backdrop through the Old Testament, through the pastoral epistles, through the letters to the churches. And so in verse 2 here, in Hebrews 5, verse 2, speaking of the high priest, he can have compassion on those who are ignorant. Ignorant and going astray which translates in the Greek as going away, wandering, or out of the way. Very interesting. Because verse 2 says ignorant and going astray. But you know what in the Greek it says? Ignorant, kai, going astray. K-A-I. And remember, kai has inclusion. There is inclusivity with the word kai. And to me, this makes it more sad because that's the danger of ignorance. People say, oh, ignorance is bliss. Ignorance is bliss. A common saying, but it's stupid. It is the way of the fool. Oh, ignorance is bliss. Ignorance is bliss. But you know what God says? In Hosea chapter four, verse six, my people perish for lack of knowledge. You see? And here in Hebrews chapter 5, verse 2, yes, there is compassion, 100% compassion, but it's within a holy framework, the full counsel of the word of God. People still make their choice, you see? And choices can also evoke a response, also within a framework. The framework is the word of God itself. You see, verse 2 says, compassion. And compassion is very beautiful, entirely beautiful. A, a, A measure of ignorance. A measure of ignorance. It's... It's understandable. Because... When a person comes to Christ, when they're a brand new believer, there is that measure of ignorance, but it's not in perpetuity. They grow, they mature, but even that is a choice. And that's the danger behind the ignorance. And don't forget what the Greek says is that it's ignorant and going astray, ignorant kai going astray. And through ignorance, that's what can happen. Going astray. You see? Because those going astray through reluctance, when not addressed, it rots the ecclesia. Why? Because they are leaven. And that's exactly what we see in Corinth. 
You see people, saints, I shouldn't say people, saints. Remember 1 Corinthians chapter 1, saints. Chapter 2, saints. Chapter 3, saints. Babies, but they're still saints. Chapter 4, saints. Chapter 5, okay, separate. What was the separation from? The works of the flesh. The sex, the extortion, the alcohol, the reviling. Remember, three years arrested development. Who were the pastors? Who were the pastors? Were the pastors like Eli where they just want, you know, Eli's problem is that he wanted to be his, he wanted to be the best friends of his son, the best friend of his sons. That was Eli's problem. He wanted to be liked by his sons instead of being a dad. You see, what about pastors? They want to be Mr. Popular. Pastors who want to be Mrs. Popular. You say, well, wait a second. You know, the Bible says females can't be pastors. Precisely my point. Wrong formula. You see? And through reluctance, those who are ignorant and going astray, when that isn't addressed, it rots the ecclesia. A little leaven leavens the bunch. And ecclesia is just, it's not, not a social club. Church, it's not a social club. It's a body of those who are called, a body of those who are set apart. And when unaddressed, it rots the body. And that's exactly what was happening in Corinth. You see? And in the case of Titus, Paul says, remember, in the case of Titus, Paul says, okay, give warning number one, the, 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 you know, certain aspects of the flesh and certain works of the flesh. Paul says to young Pastor Titus, he says, give warning one, give warning two, and there is no warning three. You see, warning one, warning two, and there is no warning three. Because it's like, wait a second, if if such a person is unwilling to yield to the word of God, that, that reveals plenty. That reveals plenty. In the absence of this, this is exactly how leaven spreads. Exactly how leaven spreads. Now, it's not like a heavy thing. It's not like a, I mean, it's a heavy thing, but it's not like, you know, like, Hey, you know, if you don't do this, then boom, you're out of here. No, no, it's not a carnal. I mean, when when Paul was serving the Lord in a disciplinarian aspect, you know, when he would write his letters, he's like, you know, I, like I have tears writing these things. It's it's painful if you if you've ever been in the, like parents, you know, like when you're disciplining your kids, it's it's not like you know, like a walk in the park. It, there is a painful aspect of disciplining your kids. But they need that. I meant, you know, spare the rod, spoil the child. There's that painful aspect of disciplining. You see? It's not like a piece of cake. It's It's difficult. Because the... Focus of the discipline, speaking of the saint, it's, there's love. It's out of love. 
Remember when Jesus Christ, you know, love God with all your heart, with all your mind, and with all your soul and love people? That's a very beautiful recipe. But there's order there. Love God, love people. God first. And you have like, you know, modern day Lutherans, Episcopals, uh, uh, Methodists. They flip the coin. They love people before loving God. All you have to do, look at the fruit. That's it. Just look at the fruit. You say, well, that's a, that's a, that's a pretty heavy statement. I know. I know. It is a heavy statement. But we see it. Proof is in the pudding. We see it. And it's so powerful when we we understand formula. Then you see like how leaven spreads. And how the remnant stays holy. Now I'm giving a new covenant example because, you know, referencing... You know, modern days, referencing Corinth. But the writer of Hebrews here in chapter 5, you know, he's speaking about Old Testament examples, but they're identical. Because overseers have a responsibility to keep the house of God clean. But it's within a framework of the covenants. The old covenant has rules of engagement, so to speak. The new covenant also has rules of engagement. Now, for example, in accordance to the law, the, the, you know, we don't stone as the old covenant says because the new covenant says, you know, the, the fulfillment of the new covenant, and I speak of Jesus Christ, he doesn't cast stones yet. He is the only one who's qualified. You see? Rules of engagement for conduct, rules of engagement for warfare. I mean, you look at Paul. When Paul would engage in hardcore spiritual warfare, but according to the flesh, he would be led away in chains. You see, because he understood the covenants. And according to the old covenant, there might there, there would be a manner of conduct which would fight according to the flesh. But that's the old covenant. And to abide in the old covenant is to be outside of Christ, the fulfillment of the law. Also fulfillment of promise. I'll say that again. To abide in the law is to be outside of Jesus Christ. Now, sometimes people get very angry when they hear me say that. What do you mean? What do you mean? It's like, you know, Jesus Christ says, obey the commandments, obey the commandments. He says, obey his commandments, the author and finisher of our faith, the fulfillment of the law. Oh, but we got to observe the Sabbaths and the feasts and the festivals. Well, I don't mean to be facetious in saying this or, 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 or cracking jokes about it or anything like that at all, but... You take the spleen of Jesus. You take the liver of Jesus. You take the lungs of Jesus. You take the esophagus of Jesus. Did they observe the Sabbaths? Did they observe the feasts? Did they observe the festivals? Did they partake of things of the law? No. Why? 
because they're inside of Christ. They're housed and abiding within Christ. You see? The fulfillment of the law. Now that's a a, a carnal example or an example according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit, that's what saints do. Abide in Christ. One body, many parts. Just as the Bible says. You see? Overseers have a responsibility to keep the house of God clean. But it's within that framework. Outside of the framework. The framework is the word of God and understanding the covenants. Because the old covenant has one set of rules. The new covenant has another set of rules. You see? It doesn't mean like we can pick and choose. I mean, you know, even though people pick and choose. Because the old covenant points to Christ. Remember Jesus says, Moses wrote about me. You see, there is fulfillment of the law, and that's Jesus. Also fulfillment of promise. Promise to Abraham. Heirs of Abraham by faith. You remember our studies? Outside of this framework, God is silent. No gifts, no oil. You see? And sometimes people come up, they formulate these conclusions. Well, you know, the Holy Spirit and how he moves and how he works and how he gives. That was for 2,000 years ago. It's not for today. That was in accordance to another dispensation. That's not for today. And you know, when people, people have that argument, it blows me away so much. Because they formulate this conclusion instead of coming to the real conclusion that shouts. They're in error. They're in error. Because I remember having a conversation with someone not too long ago. Oh, the gifts of the Spirit, that was for a long time ago. That was for the early church. It's not for today. And you know what they say to me? They say, well, why don't we see it today? Why don't we see what we read in the book of Acts? Why don't we see it today? Well, that's pretty easy. When you understand formula, it's pretty easy to explain. All you have to do is look around. Look at the flesh. Look at the carnal nature. Look at the sex, the drugs, the alcohol, the Ouija boards, you know, worship of Mary, yoga, hot yoga, chakras, crystals. Look at all these things that are seen inside the church. How could the Lord do a work? How could the Lord do the work when the very vessels have not reckoned the old man dead, have not reckoned the old woman dead. How can the Lord do a work through a people when he's trying to do the work in the people still? You see, there's major, major danger with false doctrine. And sometimes people can't come to the biblical conclusion and this kills me. It breaks my heart. 
It's because they cannot know the truth. You say, wait a second, that's a harsh statement. You mean they can't know the truth? Yes, that's what the Bible says. And you know, it's a form of judgment. And the Bible says that's a result of not having a love of the truth. And the Lord gives strong delusion that they should believe the lie. That's 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. It's a form of judgment. Strong delusion. But strong delusion is a result of not loving the truth. You see? And I have these conversations with people. Oh, you know, God will work things out in the end. God's going to work things out in the end. So what if I'm, you know, in the Catholic Church? So what if I'm Reformed? So what, so what if I'm Calvinist? So, so what if I'm with the money preachers? Listen, God will work things out in the end. But by then, it will be too late for a lot of people. You see? I mean, look at Jeremiah's day. Of all the prophets they had, of all the priests that they had. And the Lord speaking to Jeremiah, listen, th those prophets, I'm not talking to them. They can say, thus saith the Lord all they want, but I'm not talking to them. I'm paraphrasing, but that's the gist. And of Jeremiah, they call him the lonely and weeping prophet. You know what that means? He was alone. And he was sad. Why? For his people. For Israel. For Judah. Because they were unwilling to come to the Lord. Picture that. Picture that. You and me, we get in a time machine. We go back in time. On one side, you have priests. You have prophets. You have all these people. They... They dress the part, they look the part, and they all say, Thus saith the Lord, thus saith the Lord, thus saith the Lord. And they're pointing fingers and mocking one guy. Oh, look, you know, Jeremiah, go over there in your special corner. You know, go there. You're the lonely weeping prophet. Ha, ha, ha. If God is for us, who can be against us? Ha, ha, ha. We're of the elect. Who was God with? Who was God with? Who went into Babylonian captivity and who didn't? You see, by then it was too late. Just like we have today. And people say, oh, God's going to work things out. But listen, for some, by then it will be too late. So you look at the Old Testament framework, okay, activate the priesthood. I mean, in that example with Jeremiah, okay, activate the priesthood. There's a problem though. Where are they? Where are they? In New Covenant, as believers in the New Covenant? Activate the pastors, but there's a problem. Where are they? I mean, look at Corinth. Where were the pastors? I mean, do you remember, if you've been walking with us for a while, do you remember the love-hate relationship that we mentioned that I, I do have? It pains me to say this, but it also doesn't pain me to say it. But it hurts 
to say that I have a love-hate relationship with Corinth. I love the saints, but I hate the works of the flesh that we see in Corinth. That's my love-hate relationship with Corinth. Why is it that that it had to get the why is it that 100% of the body couldn't remain 100% of the body? Of course, I mean, we see the leaven and Paul says your rejoicing isn't good. And don't forget, Paul was alerted to this problem by Chloe and those in her household. Beautiful, beautiful Chloe. Don't forget beautiful Chloe and those in her household. Women. Why is it that we, that we had to get to that point, the separation? Why is it that 100% of the body couldn't remain 100% of the body? You know what the answer is? Defunct pastors, defunct elders. They didn't teach. They didn't warn. They didn't teach like Paul told Timothy to teach. They didn't warn like Paul told Titus to warn. They were defunct. And as a result, you see the works of the flesh start to grow. Where are the pastors of Corinth? Where are the pastors of these last days? You see, God knows this. Yeah, but he, he sees it all. His works, just as we studied in, in earlier chapters in, in Hebrews, his works were completed from the very beginning. But not our works. His works, done. My works, your works, pending. Some of them have been done already, but the bulk, the, 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 the rest, pending. God doesn't make robots. God doesn't make robots. You see, the Calvinist explanation of God's sovereignty is flat out wrong. Flat out. You know, sometimes people say, how come you, you're, you're really, you're, you, you really speak against the Calvinist and the Reformed theology. You really speak against it. Well, I have encounters. There are more Reformed theology folks who are jumping ship. And so there's a lot of questions with that. A lot of questions. And so it's not necessarily coming against Calvinism and against Reformed theology, even though that's there. I mean, let's be straight up. That's there. But there needs to be this explanation of, listen, this is what the Bible says. This is how you were taught. And this is why what you were taught is wrong to the former Calvinist, to the former Reformed theology person, because there's a lot of questions. And I'm not mocking God's sovereignty. God is absolutely sovereign. But the Calvinist says, you know, God is sovereign and his works were completed from the beginning and in accordance with Calvinism and Reformed theology that God makes people believe. Therefore, he predestines people to heaven and he predestines people to hell. I can understand that conclusion. God pre predestining people to heaven and God predestining people to hell. I can understand that conclusion based on the theology of John Calvin. I can completely understand that conclusion, but there's a problem. 
it doesn't match up with the Bible. That theology doesn't line up with the Bible at all. I mean, if you're listening for the first time, you're like, okay, well, this guy, he's he's going pretty hardcore here. But if if you're Calvinist, you're Reformed, I love you. But you got to jump ship because your theology is wrong, straight up. We have resources. Go to thewayunderground.com. There's plenty resources there for you. For the Reformed, if, you know, we mentioned the Hebrew roots, for Hebrew roots, for my Jewish friends, some rabbis who listen, rabbinical teachers who listen. There's resources there. And I can understand, you know, the conclusion that they come to, the Calvinist comes to, of God predestining people to heaven and God predestining people to hell. I can understand the conclusion based on the teachings of John Calvin, that brand of theology. But the problem is, that's unbiblical. I mean, the a mathematical equivalent to such logic is, you know, 2 plus 2 plus 2 plus 2 equals 5,342,008. It's fuzzy math. It's completely wrong. So where are the priests? Where are the pastors? When I say priests, I'm like, you know, hearkening Old Testament examples. But when I say pastors, it's New Covenant examples. But what does the Bible say? In the Old Testament, activate the prophets. You know, when, 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 when the Lord was silent with Eli, the high priest, the Lord wasn't silent because, you know, he was, he was silent for a reason. Remember, he, he gave the blueprints. Remember the blessings of obedience and the curses for disobedience in Deuteronomy 28? The resources, go to listen to the study. And so when you see the works of Eli, you understand why the Lord was silent. But when the Lord was silent to the priests, he wasn't silent to the prophets. He spoke to Samuel, the prophet. The Lord spoke to Isaiah, the prophet. The Lord spoke to Jeremiah, the prophet. The Lord spoke to Amos, the prophet. And I love Amos because Amos, you know, Amos, you know, I'm no prophet, nor the, nor the son of a prophet. And the Lord says, surprise, you're a prophet because the Lord sees the heart. He, uh, he, he knows the formula inside of Amos and says, Amos, you're my guy. He knows the formula inside of Hannah and says, Hannah, you're my gal. What did Hannah do? She, she prayed for and raised a prophet. Well, you know, to a certain, you know, nursed the prophet. But her example, her the Lord answered her prayers, number one, in opening her womb. But then number two, look at Samuel with ears to hear. And the Lord spoke to Samuel, the prophet, as a little boy. You say, okay, that's the Old Testament. What are the New Testament examples? What are the new covenant examples for today? Well, I say the same thing. Activate the prophets. Whoa, 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 whoa. What do you mean activate the prophets? Is Jeremiah going to get in a time machine and come back over? Come come here? Is Isaiah going to get in a time machine and come over here? Is Samuel? Is Amos? Understand the prophecies, my friend. 
Because in Acts chapter 2, verse 17 says, it shall come to pass in the last days. Remember, this is New Covenant text. Acts chapter 2, verse 17, it shall come to pass in the last days, says God, that I will pour out, that I will pour out of my, I will pour out of my, out my spirit on all flesh. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your young men shall see visions. Your old men shall dream dreams. You see? And yet you have people, well, that was for 2,000 years years ago. That was for another dispensation. Listen, when you hear a person say this, the gifts and the power and the moving of the Spirit, there's no expiration date in the Bible on how the Spirit moves and how He gifts and the power of the Holy Spirit. There is no expiration date. When you hear a person say, oh, that was for another dispensation. That's not for today. That was for the early church. That was for 2,000 years ago. When you hear a person say this, they're revealing to you their blindness. Do not follow them. Do not heed them, for they are blind. See? We're giving these new covenant examples today based on New Testament examples which are based on New Old Covenant examples and that's what the writer of Hebrews is saying here in chapter 5 speaking of this in chapter 5 verse 1 every high priest taken from among men in verse 2 he can have compassion on those who are ignorant and going astray ignorant Kai going astray and that's the danger behind ignorance now somebody can be ignorant because they're a baby but if their ignorance, if if their ignorance is through reluctance to obey, now we have something different. And has to be dealt with in a manner that is understood by what the Bible teaches. You see, the warning. Remember, Paul says to Titus about the warnings? What what Paul says to uh, 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 Timothy about the warnings? Always with grace and mercy, love and compassion. Remember the love and compassion that Paul wrote to Philemon about? Compassion, restoration. Remember the love and compassion and even the warnings that that Paul gave to the saints when he wrote his letter to to the Galatians? You see? When Paul says, have I become your enemy because I tell you the truth? And speaking of this priesthood, every high priest taken from among among men in Hebrews chapter 5 verse 2, since he himself is also subject to weakness. Remember verse 1, taken from among among men. Verse 2, the high priest is subject to weakness or in, in the Greek translates as hampered in weakness. Hampered in weakness. Verse 3, because of this, because of this, he is required as for the people, so also for himself to offer sacrifices for sins. Remember when Moses, you know, when Pharaoh said, okay, you know, Moses, take your people, go. You're free to go. And Moses says, no. Amen. 
That's what's so beautiful about intimacy with the Lord and attention to things holy. Handling the word of God, handling godly instruction. Because Pharaoh said, Moses, you're free to go. You and your people, you're free to go. But Moses said, no, Pharaoh. I meant on one side, it's like, well, wait a second. You know, like Moses, why are you saying no? Because he look, you, you know, fulfillment, you know, this is what you want. You want to be free. You want to, 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 to leave Egypt. But the Lord gave Moses very specific instructions. My people and the animals. And Moses says, we, we don't even know why we, we need the animals. The, just that the Lord says, take the animals. So Pharaoh, I know you're saying that we're free to go, but no, Pharaoh. Because we're free to go on God's terms. And what is God's terms? We got to take the animals. You see? A lot of animals. Why? Because a lot of trespass, a lot of blood. And this is before the blueprints were given to Moses. You see? Remember? In, 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 in the, the mixture of faith. The mixture of faith. Which in the old covenant, there was no mixture of faith. In the old covenant, the, the actual law as given. That mixture of faith was a very special special passageway. Moses had it. Joshua had it. Caleb had it. Hannah had it. Phineas had it. You see? But the whole of Israel didn't have it. The mixture of faith. We just studied that last week. You see? And Moses... With faith. I don't know why we need the animals, Pharaoh, but we're not leaving on your terms. We're leaving on God's terms. Let my people go. You see? And we're taking the animals. And then, after the exodus, Moses realizes, okay, there's a lot of trespass. There's... A lot of animals because we're going to need a lot of animals because there's going to be a lot of sin. And the Lord tells him exactly. You see? Obedience. The house of God, clean. The people of God, clean. The, ta the tabernacle of God, clean. Old Testament, clean. New Testament, clean. Today, clean. As New Covenant believer, believers, we go deeper because God's temples, and I speak of you, clean. How does that happen? The Word of God. The High Priest. The Word became flesh. I meant when Jesus is on the cross, He's dying on the cross. Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. Tetelestai, it is finished. You know what else happened? The veil was torn. 
the Holy of Holies, that veil was torn from top to bottom. That's a big deal. Top to bottom. Because if man were doing it, it would be bottom to top. But it's God who did it from top to bottom. You see? Because there's a high priest fulfillment. In verse 4 here in Hebrews 5, And no man takes this honor to himself, but he who is called by God. You see, unless the Lord builds the house, they labor in vain, those who build. Called by God. Just as Aaron was. It says here in verse 4, just as Aaron was. You think, okay, you know, that you know, let's treat it like a family business here, and so you know, and they dab in a bihu. No, they offer strange fire. But then you have Eleazar. See, the Lord understands formula. The Lord has given the formula, but the you, when we read the Bible, we, we see formula in action. Nadab and Abihu, they didn't have formula. Eleazar, he had formula. The right formula. You see? So now that we have... These examples as explained here in verse 1 through 4. Now we get into verse 5. So also, remember verse 1, every high priest taken from among men. We have Old Testament examples in verse 1, 2, 3, and 4. And now we come to Jesus. So also Christ did not glorify himself. I mean, look how Jesus was received. I mean, do you remember when we make reference to John chapter 6, the the book of, uh, 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 the gospel of John in chapter 6? And you have multitudes of people, just, just do a little census. Count the number of people in the beginning of chapter 6, the book of John. Count the number of people. And at the very end, count the number of people. You have thousands upon thousands. Other other gospels say, you know, when the the, the, the multitudes were fed, other you know other uh, other gospels they say that it's uh, 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 five thousand uh, 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 five thousand men with women and children, or five thousand men, but then also with their women and children. So like you know, it could be you know five thousand plus, because if it's five thousand men. But then some of them had their women and children. There could be more. Depending on the number of kids. And you take all that multitude of people. And in John chapter 6. You see the subtraction. Where yes the multitudes were fed. But in very short order Jesus stops. And he looks at the people who are following him. And you figure, okay, people are following Jesus. That's a good thing. Yes, it's a good thing. But why were they following Jesus? And Jesus just says, point blank, you're following me because your bellies are full. You don't like what I say. You don't want to do what I say. But you're following following me because your bellies are nice and full. I'm paraphrasing, but that's the gist of what he says. And people were offended. And they turned around. Okay, we're not gonna we're not gonna follow anymore. Then he turns to the disciples. He even asks them, does this offend you? He gives them more truth. He even, does this offend you? The answer was yes, they were offended. 
in you know in, in um, other gospels, Jesus even says, you know, blessed is he who's not offended because of me. Because truth hurts. I'm the first to admit truth hurts. But it's you and me that yields to the truth of God's word, not the other way around. We don't make the word of God yield to us. We don't make the word of God yield to my will or your will. It's you and me that yields to God's will. You see? Because otherwise, that's the way of the apostate. To make the word align to my will and your will, that's the way of the apostate. It's you and me that yields to him. You see? And don't forget, we have a helper. The Paracletus, the Holy Spirit. A promise of God. But when you look at John 6, Jesus fled, you know, the, the thousands became hundreds. He turns to the disciples, does this offend you? And it even says the disciples walk with him no more. And the hundreds became 12. Jesus didn't glorify himself. He didn't want to be Mr. Popular. Look at the multitudes who left him. The 12 became 11. The 11 became zero. And as a sheep led to the slaughter, he was alone. Son of the Most High. Son of man, son of David, son of God. Our Lord, our Savior, our King, our Master, our Bridegroom, and he was alone. He did not glorify himself As verse 5 here says here in Hebrews 5, Christ did not glorify himself to become high priest, but it was he, this is speaking of God the Father, our Father, hallowed be his name. It was he who said to him, it was God our Father who said to Jesus, you are my son. Today I have begotten you. As he also says in in another place, you are a priest forever according to the order of Melchizedek. This is powerful. Melchizedek? Because Melchizedek was... I mean, if you've been walking with us for a while, you remember our study in Genesis. The order of Melchizedek? This is pre-New Covenant, pre-Old Covenant, pre-Law, pre-Law of Circumcision, pre-Covenant with Abraham. And yet there was an order. And we're going to study this, you know, at greater length in future chapters in our study in the book of Hebrews. But, oh my goodness, what the Lord has done. How good is he? How good is he? When you and me, when we see, as the Bible says, taste and see that the Lord is good. And we taste it. Oh my goodness. He is good. Verse 7, who in the days of his flesh, now we're speaking of Jesus, who's a high priest forever, but in the days of his flesh, before the crucifixion, when he had offered up prayers and supplications with vehement cries and tears to him who was able to save him from death. 
Remember Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane? The disciples fell asleep and he stayed awake. His vehement cries and tears to him who was able to save him from death. Remember when he says, Father, take this cup from me. But then something key. Yet not my will. Yet not my will. That's what Jesus says. Yet not my will, your will. You see? And Jesus crying out to his father, our father. And here in verse 7 says, and was heard because of his godly fear. You see, fear of the Lord. I mean, it's quite beautiful. Sometimes Christians say, you get mad at me. Like, what do you mean fear of the Lord? He's my best friend. You're talking about fear of the Lord. Listen, fear of the Lord is beautiful. There's nothing bad about it at all. At all. It, it's not only a learned thing, but it's the beginning of wisdom. And I like to equate like gas pedals. Like in a car, you have a gas pedal and a brake pedal. The gas pedal is like the love of the Lord. But the brake pedal, that's like the fear of the Lord. You see? And I love that. Because, you know, green light, gas pedal. Red light, brake pedal. What about in our own walk? According to the Spirit. When we choose to walk according to the Spirit, not according to the flesh. The Word of God says ABC, and you and me, we choose to do ABC just as the Word says. So what do we do? We hit the gas pedal. But then the Word of God says, don't do one, two, three. One, two, three is propositioned. We hit the brake pedal. That's not happening. You see? Gas pedal, brake pedal. Brake pedal only, you're not going anywhere. Gas pedal only, you're going to get in an accident. It's the two. Brake pedal, gas pedal. And Jesus, in his vehement cries, as it says here in verse 7, and tears to his father, our father, who was able to save him from death and was heard because as a result of his godly fear, look, notice verse 8, though he was a son, yet he learned obedience by the things which he suffered. Remember verse 1 and 2? We have the high priest among men who is subject to weakness, who can have compassion. But that same formula, that same model was applied to Jesus. Now, I don't want to sound irreverent in any way, shape, or form. But his obedience was off the charts. His obedience was off the charts. I meant, you know, Father, take this cup from me. Yet, not my will, thy will. His obedience was off the charts. And I don't mean to say that in an irreverent manner in any way, shape, or form. But not to sound irreverent again. But I love the imperfections we see in the prior examples. And speaking of high priests, like Aaron and Eleazar. And not for the sake of the imperfection itself, but that the imperfection leaves room for something better. Someone better. 
another high priest in the order of Melchizedek. Just like we see like Moses as a type of Christ. But then you see his moments of disobedience. Remember, he, he wasn't allowed to cross into the promised land. You see his moments of disobedience and you see, okay, Moses as a type of Christ. But then you see, you know, his, his you know, little, little uh, 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 moments of disobedience. And it's like, okay, but he's an example of Christ, but not the Christ. He's an example of Jesus, but not the Jesus. Joshua, an example of Jesus, not the Jesus. David, an example of Jesus, but not the Jesus. You see, and I love that. I love that so much. Not the imperfections, not the imperfections of the high priest, but that it leaves room for the coming one. And that's Jesus. You see, these are things that the Pharisees should have known. I could completely understand, not an interrogation of Jesus, but I can completely understand just some questioning. I can completely, for, for the sake of shepherding and overseeing the people of God, I get it. I completely understand. But they were blind. And instead of questioning so that, you know, let's see if this really is the Messiah, because if he is the Messiah, we want to worship him. No, they question him to trap him. You see, wrong formula in their heart. And verse 8, notice here in verse 8 that Jesus learned obedience. How is it that he learned obedience? By suffering. Now, there are two approaches to this truth. There are more, but we'll look at two for now. The first, what about our suffering? What about our suffering? Look how people respond with their own suffering. I mean, sometimes you see someone who's suffering and they lash out in anger. They lash out in violence. Sometimes they go to the bottle. I mean, they're, they're suffering. They go to the bottle. They're suffering. And they drugs, alcohol, they drown themselves in anything to hide the things that come with suffering. Suffering is it, it, It's suffering. But there's something else to be seen, and that is opportunity, which sounds crazy to hear me. I mean, you're like, what? Suffering, and you're you're trying to point to opportunity. Look, like my my, my grandfather died, my mother died. You know, I I have cancer. I, you know, I'm gonna be amputated, or you know, the world's falling apart. You know, there was a fire, and my whole family's burned. And you're talking about opportunity. What? Opportunity to obey. That's what I'm talking about. Opportunity to obey the Lord. You see? And I tell you, as one who ran to the bottle, strong drink was my God. Lower in case G. It was idolatry. I would drown out my suffering through the bottle. And I still say today, 
Opportunity. Absolutely. Opportunity. The opportunity is to obey the Lord. Remember in verse 7, it says that Jesus, he was heard because of his godly fear. But what about us? What about our godly fear? Remember, fear of the Lord is a beautiful thing. It's the beginning of wisdom. I mean, in something rather extreme, look at David. Look at David. Have you ever been so angry at someone? And I, I, I don't want to like instill any carnal thoughts or carnal emotions in saying that, but as David, have you ever been so angry at someone that you wanted to take their children and bash their children against rocks? That's anger. I mean, that's rage. And that's a major extreme. But look at the opportunity. That's what David, in his, it, it, it blows me away to read the Psalms. It blows me away because I meant like, you, you read, you know, aspects of like Kings and Chronicles and you see, okay, you know, and, and you know, or, or, or references in Kings and Chronicles and, uh, 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 like in, in the, uh, uh, Samuel, uh, uh, first and second Samuel. And it's like, okay, you know, these are the things that are happening with David in the life of David. And, and we see that. But then when you read his Psalms and you see like, okay, like, this is what's going on in his heart. I mean, it's kind of like with Paul. Like you read the book of Acts and you see, okay, you know, from a, from a, dare I say, carnal perspective. I mean, when you see with your eyes, okay, Paul is going into Corinth and, okay, Paul is doing this and Paul is going here. He's saying this and he's fighting according to the spirit and he's fighting the good fight and he's a warrior for Christ and a warrior in Christ and wow it's so beautiful and you see the defensive posture the offensive posture of of Paul and when I say offensive posture I mean Paul on offense but then you read his letters to the saints and it's like wow you know all this stuff was going on you know Paul doing this and Paul going here but then you read his letters and he's just pouring his guts out to the saints, pouring his heart out to the saints. You know, have I become your enemy? Because I tell you the truth and you hate me. I tell you the truth and now I'm your enemy. And he's just pouring his guts out. And that's what I love so much about the epistle. I mean, you know, among other things, but it's so beautiful just to see... When Paul is pouring his guts out, pouring his heart out, his life poured out as a drink offering, his very life. And don't forget, this is a vessel that the Lord is using. But it's also a person who once killed Christians, had Christians stoned, women dragged away, thrown in prison, beaten, stoned. You see, he's different. He's changed. That's what we're talking about when we say this opportunity. You know, like, when you experience 
suffering. I mean, I, as a person who ran to the bottle, I get it. People do their sex, drugs, and whatever. I get it. There is a masking effect of the opiates, of the meth, of the crack, of the whiskey, of the vodka, of the gin. There's a masking effect. But it's very temporal. It's not only very temporal, but the last state of the person who partakes of those things is worse. And I tell you from experience. You might think I'm crazy for saying opportunity. Like you're, you know, here I am suffering and this guy wants to talk to me about opportunity. Yes, I want to talk to you about opportunity. Precisely. Opportunity. But the opportunity is to obey the Lord. Look at David. When these things are happening to him and against him. And he's angry. So much so that he wants to take these children and bash them against rocks. And he's just letting it know, be known before the Lord. That's it. He's telling the Lord, Lord, I'm angry. And Lord, I want to take their kids and bash them against rocks. You see? And just like Jesus, you know, the Garden of Gethsemane. But Lord, not my will. Thy will. I mean, you know, don't get me wrong. David had his moment of my will. And he reaped what he had sown. But he also had his moment of repentance. Repentance. You see, the Lord is reactionary. He responds to wickedness. He responds to righteousness. But he also responds to repentance. You might think I'm crazy for even speaking this way. This guy is crazy. You're listening to your suffering, whatever state of suffering that is, which is... It's going to grow exponentially as we get further in the events of the last days. There's going to be a lot of suffering. And nobody has any answers. You can go to therapists. The therapist won't give you answers. The psychiatrist won't give you answers. The counselor won't give you answers. The Word of God, we have answers. In the Word of God, we have answers. You see? Look at the opportunity And I say unto you, seize the opportunity. Not in a carnal sense, not in a prideful sense. And the opportunity is to obey the Lord. Lord, not my will, thy will. Lord, I'm angry. Not my will, thy will. Lord, I'm sad. I want to mask this sorrow. But Lord, not my will, thy will. You see, remember, obedience is a learned thing. Anger, sadness, hopelessness, depression, anxiety, PTSD, take it to the Lord. He knows already. But don't forget, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. The mixture of fear and the mixture of faith. Now, I don't want to sound offensive, 
in saying this. But you take that mixture of faith and mixture of fear, fear of the Lord, which is a good thing, the beginning of wisdom. Do you really think that God won't hear? Do you really think that he won't respond to you? I tell you from experience and I tell you the truth. He absolutely will. You see? Now you hear say, you know, a little while ago that there are two approaches in learning obedience through suffering and there's more. And that was the first one. You know what the second approach is? It's so simple. Abide in Christ. <laughs> it's so simple. I love, remember Paul when he explained his phobia to the Corinthian saints? He says, I fear for you because that you move away from the simplicity that is, that is in Christ. It's so simple. Just abide in Christ. So simple. Abide in Christ. And so we see here in verse 9, and speaking of Jesus now, having been perfected, per- perfected, he became the author. Now, this is in a, in a causative sense. Also, the causer. Jesus, he became the author or the causer of eternal salvation. That's a big deal. Eternal salvation to all who obey him. Whoa. To all who obey him. In the Greek, hupakou, hupakou. My, 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 I'm bad at you know dialecta sometimes, but hupakou in the Greek. You know what that is? That's to listen attentively, to heed or conform to a command or authority, and this is obedience. This is obedience. People say, "Oh, we're not saved by works. We're not saved by works." Absolutely, one hundred percent. We're not saved by works lest any man should boast. We're not saved by works. But let's examine the scriptures. Ephesians chapter 2. Turn with me really quick to Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8. For by grace, for by grace you have been saved. Praise the Lord. For by grace you have been saved. Through faith. And I say praise the Lord again. And that not of yourselves. Wow. Praise the Lord. It is the gift of God. Praise the Lord. Verse 9. Not of works, lest anyone should boast. Praise the Lord. How beautiful is this? For by grace you have been saved through faith. And that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. And many Christians, many saints, beautiful, beautiful saints, they end it here and they call it a day. Well, the Bible says that, you know, we're not saved by works, we're saved through faith. Let's call it a day. And it is absolutely true, we're not saved by works. But remember, faith is a package deal. Faith is a package deal. I mean, for example, and I don't want to, you know, sound, you know, like irreverent in saying this, but say, for example, we go to a burger joint, you and me, we're hungry 
and we're going to go to a burger joint. And we walk inside the burger joint. We're standing there. You know that the, the, the machine is there. The person says, welcome to, you know, wherever. How can I help you? And you say, you know what? I'll have a number one. Now, from the sound of it, only one thing is being ordered. But it's a package deal. The package deal includes the burger, the fries, and a soda. It's a package deal. And you say, oh, I'll have a number one. It sounds singular, but it's a package deal. Burger, fries, and soda. And then it's my turn to order. Oh, I'll have a number one. You see, sounds singular. Oh, he's just ordering a one. No, 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 no. I want a burger, I want a fries, and I want a soda. Package deal. And that's what faith is. It's a package deal that Brother James speaks about. Others too, but James break it down poignantly. He says, Faith without works is dead. Faith without works is dead. Dead faith? Dead faith? You see, dead faith is entirely possible. I don't want anyone to have a dead faith. And it breaks my heart to say this, but people do have a dead faith. While believing in Jesus. And these are things that will be on overdrive in the last days as the falling away increases. It's prophesied to happen, the falling away. Apostasy. Apostasia. You see, falling away isn't just a person who went to church and now does his drugs and alcohol and lives according to the flesh and the world. Falling away includes churchgoers, Laodiceans. That's where Jesus is on the outside. Jesus is not on the inside. Still in Ephesians 2, let's continue reading here in verse 10. For we, remember verse 9, you know, people, you know, verse 9, verse uh, Ephesians chapter 2, uh, 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 verse 8, for by grace you have been saved through faith. And that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. And, you know, does that mean we call it a day? Oh, we're not saved by, we're, we're not saved by works. Okay, let's call it a day. We're good to go. Hold on a second. Hold the phone there. Because verse 10, for we, we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works. For good works. We're not saved by works. We're saved for good works. You see? We're not saved by works, lest any man should boast. Remember the thief on the cross? 
Jesus says to him, today you will be with me in paradise. And we've said this before, but I don't want to sound heretical in suggesting this, but what if, bear with me for a moment, what if the thief who Jesus says, today you will be with me in paradise. What if the thief came down off that cross? What if he was released? He takes some time to heal. He's healed up in, say, three months, five months, six months. In the course of time, he's healed. And Jesus said to him six months ago that today you'll be, be with me in paradise. But he came down off the cross. Does that promise of paradise still apply to him? Well, it depends. Is he obeying the word of God? You see, Jesus says today you will be with, be with me in paradise because that day, today, it was the end of the road for him. And here in Ephesians 2 and verse 10, for we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we, that we should walk in them. Should, emphasis on should. We should walk in them. Remember, God doesn't create robots. God's work, his works have already been prepared. But there's another aspect that's missing. It's you and me, our works. God doesn't make robots. I'll give you an example. Say you and me. We're going to go play some soccer, some football, if you will. We're going to go play some soccer. Football. The, the field, it was made long ago. The ball, it was made long ago. With the field and the ball, there's still an element missing, and that's you and me. The field is established. The, 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 the lines on the field established. The goalposts and the, the net, it's established. It's there. The ball, it's already been made. It's there. But the element that's missing is you and me. Now we show up to the field and we play. But even play, even that has a special set of rules. I mean, for example, if I get in this example, if I come, if you say, hey, you know, we're going to meet at, you know, uh, two o'clock and we're going to play soccer. And I come at two o'clock and you're there and I come rolling up and I'm, I, I got a baseball bat and gloves. It doesn't fit the rules. I've come to play baseball, but we're, we're going to play soccer. It doesn't The rules don't apply. The rules that I brought don't fit. If I come with a set of golf clubs, that doesn't fit. We're playing soccer. We're at a soccer field. If I come with tennis rackets and tennis balls, it doesn't fit. To play soccer, you and me, we play by the rules of soccer. You see, the field was already established. The, the lines in the, in the grass already established. The paint on the grass, the, the goalpost, the netting, the ball, it's already there. It's already... The only element that's missing is you and me. We're going to play soccer. Remember our study in Titus chapter 1? In Titus chapter 1 verse 15, a pastoral letter 
Pastor Paul says to Pastor Titus, to the pure, all things are pure. But to those who are defiled and unbelieving, you see, defiled and unbelieving sounds like it's outside the church. It sounds like it's out, outside the church. But remember the task given to Titus. It's the clean house. These are things that are inside the church. Defiled and unbelieving is inside the church? Yeah, absolutely. And Paul says, but to those who are defiled and unbelieving, nothing is pure. But even their mind and conscience are defiled. Verse 16, they profess to know God. But in works, they deny him. Remember James? Faith is a package deal. He says, faith without works is dead. Now, without this understanding, look at the result of denying Jesus in works. Because Titus chapter 1 verse 16 says, they profess to know God. Oh, I'm a Christian, I'm a Christian. I know God, I know God. Look, I know Jesus, I know Jesus. But notice, in works they deny him. You see, a person can say they're a Christian all they want. But when we look at the fruit, what do we see? You see? Because in works, Pastor Paul says to Pastor Timothy, and Timothy's task is to clean house. You see, to let it be known. Remember, speak, speak on these things. Don't be quiet. Don't be quiet, Titus. Speak on these things. He's not going to go in with a baseball bat and, you know, slam it on the table and say, hey, everybody, you will listen to me. No, he's just going to lay it out and people will choose for themselves. Because denying Jesus in works. Look at what happens in verse 16, Titus chapter 1. Being abominable disobedient and disqualified for every good work. See, when Brother James speaks of this package deal, faith and works, he equates faith with obedience. This is exactly the same way the writer of Hebrews says what he says. Why? It's the same spirit. The same spirit of the writer of Hebrews is the same spirit With Jeremiah. The same spirit with James. The same spirit with Paul. The same spirit with Moses. The same spirit with Joshua. The same spirit with Hannah. The same spirit with Ruth. Same spirit. Same Lord. And this is what Hebrews in chapter 5. Let's go back to Hebrews 5. In Hebrews 5, speaking of Jesus in verse 9, that he became the author of eternal salvation to all who obey him. Remember, we're not saved by works. But just like the you and me, we go to the burger joint. Hey, I'll have a number one. What are you having? I'll have a number one too. Are we ordering one thing? No, it's a package deal. 
because you know, we're going to wait. We're going to see the cook doing his thing and we're going to be eating our burger, our fries and drinking our soda. Package deal. We said we just wanted a singular thing. We said we just give me a, give me a number one. I want a number one. But it's a package deal. Burger, fries, soda. You see? We're not saved by works. But remember, works is a package deal with faith. Faith is a package deal with works. It's very important to understand. Very important to understand. Just as we see, remember, when we look at Ephesians chapter 2, if Ephesians or Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10, we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works. You see? Remember, Jesus says, if you love me, obey me. If you love me, follow me. So yes, as Hebrews 5 says in verse 9, that yes, he became the author of eternal salvation. And yes, he is our author of eternal salvation to all who obey him. It's a big deal. And a lot of times I enter these conversations with once saved, always saved. The argument of once saved, always saved. Is one saved, always saved true? Biblically, the answer is no. One saved, always saved is unbiblical. The biblical formula is once saved, stay saved. Now, I know that's hard hitting to a lot of people and I love you. But let us not forget that the Bible says that names can be blotted out from the book of life. In Revelation chapter 22, turn really quick to Revelation chapter 22. Revelation 22. Um, quick observation, this is a book in the New Covenant. Not the old. <clears throat> In Revelation 22, verse 19. If anyone takes away from the words of the book of this prophecy. Remember, God is reactionary. Look at what God does in this scenario that applies to anyone. Verse 19. If anyone takes away from the words of the book of this prophecy. God shall take away his part from the book of life. In the Greek, you know what this, how this translates in the Greek? God shall remove and cut off his portion or allotment. You know, it's very interesting to know that, you know, keep in mind that we're studying Old Testament examples of inheritance. Not just the examples, but the actual inheritance in our Wednesday studies through the Old Testament in the book of Joshua. And here in the Greek, in Revelation 22, verse 9, says, God shall remove and cut off his portion or allotment from the book of life. And the, the, 
the portion is removed and the word is apo. The portion is removed, apo in the Greek. You know what that means? That's hereafter, out of, or hereafter, out from, or hereafter, separated from the book of life. You see? That's how it translates in the Greek. That God shall remove and cut off his portion or allotment. Out of or out from or separated out of the book of life. That's heavy. That's very heavy. This truth reveals that one saved, always saved is false. Oh, but that's not what my pastor says. People say it all the time. Oh, but that's not what my pastor says. My pastor teaches otherwise. That's nice. Listen, I love I love you. Understand, I don't say this to hurt you. But we're living in the last days. And every single one of us, we have to be right with the Lord. Intimate with the Lord. Get a new pastor. You're taught wrongly. Oh, but wait a second. We're sealed by the Holy Spirit. And listen, of that I say, amen. Absolutely. Being sealed by the Holy Spirit is beautiful. But let us also not forget some men who were also sealed by the Spirit. Elders, overseers. And turn with me really quick to Acts chapter 20. And in Acts chapter 20, verse 28. Therefore, take heed to yourselves. This is Paul speaking, but Acts is written by Dr. Luke. And this is Paul speaking. And here in Acts 20, verse 28, Therefore, take heed to yourselves and to all the flock. This is a good thing. Take heed. This is good. Among which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. My latest meeting, remember the elders of Ephesus? This is a good thing. The seal of the Holy Spirit guiding these overseers. Praise the Lord. To do what? Paul says, to shepherd the church of God. Paul says, written by Dr. Luke, to shepherd the church of God, which he purchased with his own blood. So far, so good. Verse 29. For I know this, that after my departure, savage wolves will come in among you. So notice this threat. It's from the outside and now it has come in. And Paul says, not sparing the flock. But then in verse 30, there's another threat. Also, from among yourselves. Now, the threat is now on the inside. I mean, the threat before was the outside, the, the savage wolves. They, they came from the outside and they're inside. But in verse 30, from among yourselves, these are the overseers. And now the threat, it didn't come from the outside. It's already on the inside. And Paul says, from among yourselves, men will rise up speaking perverse things to draw away the disciples after themselves. Don't forget, biblically speaking, shepherds can become wolves. What a, verse 28. The Holy Spirit made them overseers. How is this possible? 
I meant, if once saved, always saved is true, how is this possible? Oh, but we have the seal of the Spirit. So did these overseers. These overseers were sealed and led by the Holy Spirit. And in time, the overseers became wolves. Remember, Paul says, after I leave, I know this is going to happen. Paul's not boasting and saying, you know, oh, look, you know, I'm hardcore. Paul's not saying that. He's not boasting. But Paul's got the goods and Paul knows the goods and Paul knows all about formula. And he knows that, listen, after I leave, I know this is going to happen. You know, as long as I'm here, it's not happening. Because, you know, you're an elder and you want to be crazy. That's not happening. You see, and Paul's not boasting at all. But Paul says, after I leave, I know this is going to happen. See, how is it possible? If, if once saved, always saved were true. And, and the seal of the Spirit was like, you know, like a slam dunk. How could these things be possible? How is it that overseers, elders, sealed by the Spirit, and the Holy Spirit has made them overseers? How can they become wolves? You see? In verse 31, Paul says, Therefore watch and remember that for three years I did not cease to warn everyone night and day with tears. He would give ample warning for three years. Hey, there's a warning. Warning number one, warning number two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. You know, warning number 5,823. And then Paul says, after my departure, I know this is going to happen. And Paul's not boasting, saying, oh, I'm hardcore. I'm hardcore. No, he just says, look at, I know formula. I know the goods. And I know this is going to happen. Which is why he gave this warning. A vessel of the Lord. Speaking of Paul. Giving ample warning to other vessels. An overseer giving ample warning to other overseers. Biblically speaking, once saved, always saved cannot be true. So what happened? What happened? How is it that... An overseer. The Holy Spirit has made these men overseers. How is it that they become wolves when they have such intimacy with the Lord one day? How is it that they become wolves? Well, these overseers that the Miletus meeting these overseers, they quench the spirit. Something the Bible warns us not to do in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 19. You know what the Greek says? Do not extinguish the spirit. And this is precisely what the overseers did. They had the spirit, but they extinguished the spirit. You see? And I have this conversation quite a bit. A lot with the Calvinists, a lot with the Reformed theory. Oh, once saved, always saved, once saved, always saved. This is, it's unbiblical. Oh, but my pastor teaches it. Get a new pastor. He's wrong. 
Oh, my pastor's not a he, my pastor's a she. Okay, now, you know, we have other issues to discuss. You see? Oh, but once saved, always saved. No, it's unbiblical. Oh, but we have the seal of the Spirit. So did these overseers. How is it that they became wolves if they're sealed by the Spirit? You see? That's why Paul says, do not quench the Spirit or do not extinguish the Spirit. I mean, I mean, I could describe extinguishing, but I mean, we have the example. I mean, if there's a fire, think of a, a, a fire and you want to put out the fire. It's a little fire. There's fire extinguishers. It blows out. It's, you know, whatever chemicals are in there. I don't know the exact chemical makeup, but you got a fire. Say your, your couch is on fire. You get the fire extinguisher. You pull the pin, squeeze the deal, and then it's out in five seconds. Because that fire has been extinguished. And that's what believers can do. Who are sealed by the Spirit. They can extinguish the Spirit. Which is why the Bible warns us, do not extinguish the Spirit. Oh, but Jesus says he won't lose anyone who the Father gives him. Listen, that's very true. Absolutely true. That's from John chapter 6, verse 39. But remember the example we gave with baby girl? You're in your nice, beautiful home. And you say to baby girl, baby girl, stay here. I'm going to go prepare a place for you, baby girl. I'll be right back. I'm going to go prepare a place for you. Stay here, baby girl. It's nice and safe. It's cold outside. You're going to be warm. You got your blankets. You got plenty of food. Baby girl, stay right here. I'm going to go prepare a place for you. You come back. Baby girl's gone. You did not lose her. You did not lose her. You know what happened? Baby girl walked away. That's what happened. How did baby girl walk away? Well, there's multiple reasons. But she was seduced to walk away. You say, baby girl, stay here. I'm going to go prepare a place for you. You come back, baby girl's gone. You didn't lose her. Baby girl walked away. You see? And Jesus says that he won't lose anyone who the Father gives him. Which is one, I mean, that's that's the word of our Lord. He's not going to lose anyone who the Father gives him. But then there's a seduction. And just like the example we gave with baby girl, the warning is this. Don't walk away. You see? So you say, okay, listen, baby girl, stay here. I'm going to go prepare a place for you, baby girl. Stay right here. I'm coming back. And, you know, you walk out the door. Baby girl says, okay. And, you know, everything's beautiful. Now you know that people are going to come come a-knocking. And they're going to try to seduce baby girl to walk away. So what do you know that's going to happen? So what do you do? You've been eyeballing this guy, a particular guy. And he's a fighter. And you've been eyeballing him. And you you like what you see. You like the goods. He's got the goods. 
and you say, hey, I have a task for you. I want you to stand right here at, at, at post. I want you to stand right here and I want you to watch over baby girl, oversee baby girl. And, you know, by the way, when these wolves come, I want you to kill the wolves, metaphysically speaking. But you got to take care of the wolves. You see? So you go prepare a place for baby girl, just as you said. The wolves come. But there's this guy. He, you, you like the goods. He's got the goods. And you say, hey, stand right here. And, you know, he's standing post. And he's feeding baby girl, teaching baby girl. Baby girl is maturing beautifully, growing beautifully. The wolf comes and there's no encounter with baby girl. You know why? Because the wolf is killed by the guy that's got the goods. You see? Now, baby girl is mature to a level where she sees, she understands, okay, this guy's a wolf. Why? Because she was taught by the guy that's got the good, got the goods. Now, baby girl's got the goods. Wolf comes and she's, look, at she kills wolves. She understands this is a wolf. I'm not going to heed what he says. But in the previous example, you know, you come back, baby girl's gone. You didn't lose her. Baby girl walked away. You see? Baby girl walked away. Turn with me really quick to Luke chapter 8. And this is something that we look at quite a bit and we're going to keep looking at quite a bit. Luke chapter 8. Luke chapter 8. In reference to new believers, new believers. And it's good, beautiful new believers. The seed is the word of God. But notice in Luke chapter 8, verse 13, the ones on the rock, the seeds on the rock are those who, when they hear, receive the word with joy, which is good. You know, it's, it's good. They receive the word and they receive the word with joy. Praise the Lord. But there's a problem. Look what is written. And these have no root. Who believe, which seems good, you know, praise the Lord, they're believers. Who believe for a while. Notice, this is not good. You know, they believe, which is good, but it's for a while, not good. You see, it's a short-term believer. How does this happen? Well, it is written. Who believe for a while and in time of temptation fall away. Understand, temptation, temptation. Temptation is not a sin. Temptation is not a sin. A lot of saints need to hear that. A lot of saints need to know that. A lot of saints need to understand that. Temptation, it's not a sin. Not at all. How a person responds to temptation that is where the trap is. Temptation is not a sin. I mean, Satan attempted to tempt Jesus. But did Jesus take the bait? No. 
Satan attempts to make everybody sin. Do people take the bait? Oh yeah, a lot of people take the bait. Don't forget, Satan's a fisherman too. Satan knows he's going to burn in hell. What he wants to do is take all of God's creation that he loves, that he died for, and drag them to hell with him. That's what Satan wants to do. And he's a very effective fisherman. You see? How a person responds to temptation, that's the trap. You see? Remember, Luke chapter 8, verse 13 refers to those with no root. You know what that means? They're babies. They're babies. There's no depth to their understanding. And they fall away. And this is something that will be on overdrive in the last days. The great falling away. Doesn't mean great falling away like it's a good thing. It's great meaning it's great. It's, it's, it's a biggie. It's a big deal. A lot of falling away. It's going to be on overdrive in the last days. People say, wait a second. That's not what my pastor teaches. My pastor doesn't teach that. Listen, get a new pastor. We are living in perilous times. And a pastor who doesn't teach right, a pastor who teaches wrongly, is indication that an overseer has gone astray, which happens for many reasons. Understanding the formula. Once saved, always saved. It's a lie. It's a lie. The biblical truth is once saved, Stay saved. You see, names can be blotted out from the book of life. And, you know, people get mad when I say that. Oh, but that gives me fear. That makes me fear. That makes me fear. Listen, a little fear works wonders. You know why? It's the beginning of wisdom, as the word of God says. You see? And here in verse 9, in in, in Hebrews chapter 5, in Hebrews chapter 5, verse 9 here, that Jesus became the author of eternal salvation to all who obey him. Speaking of Jesus here in verse 10, called by God as high priest. As high priest. Remember, we're speaking of Jesus. Verse 1 and 2, you know, you know, chosen from men. But now we're speaking of Jesus, the son of the most high, son of man, son of David, son of God. according to the order of Melchizedek. Verse 11, of whom we have much to say. Now, this is a big deal because, you know, we have much to say. It is written by the writer of Hebrews here and in the Greek translates as, of whom we have an abundance of things to say or an abundance of the logos, an abundance of things concerning doctrine and Holy matters. Do you remember in our study in Corinthians, when Paul, in the, the baby chapter, 1 Corinthians chapter 1, they're saints. Chapter 2, they're saints. Chapter 3, you're saints, but you're babies. And Paul says, listen, in, in 1 Corinthians 3, he says, I give you milk because you need milk. You're still on milk. I mean, it's been three years. When you look at the timeline, when Paul came into Corinth and when Paul wrote to the Corinthians, that's a three-year gap. But a three-year gap, which seems, oh, it's just three years. But a three-year gap 
under the leadership of defunct pastors, of defunct elders? You see? They might have had the Spirit, they might have had the seal of the Spirit, but through works of the flesh, they quenched the Spirit or extinguished the Spirit. Understand leadership matters. Leadership matters. It's a big deal. A huge deal. Remember, look at Israel in Joshua. Israel under Joshua and the elders, beautiful, 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 beautiful. But what happens when Joshua and the elders die? Harlotry. Harlotry. Leadership matters. I mean, you picture Paul. I said picture Paul. Paul, straight up. He's a wealth of knowledge, which is a gift of the Spirit. He is a wealth of knowledge. He has a former Pharisee of Pharisees. I mean, he could break it down. He could break down the law and just be like, boom, 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 bing, bing, bing. This means this. This is this. this. Remember, the, the, the religious leaders, they wanted to kill him. You know why? Because when Paul became deadly, Paul himself was a baby when he first became a Christian. He was a baby and he grew. Remember, he, he didn't confer with flesh. He didn't immediately confer with flesh. He went to the source, his own intimacy with the Lord Jesus Christ. And when Paul became deadly, it was customary for Paul to go into the synagogues. And when Paul would enter, enter synagogue, the Bible says that he would enter the synagogue and he would prove that Jesus is not. I mean, it, it wasn't like a debate. He would prove from the text, from the ancient scrolls, Paul would prove beyond a shadow of a doubt, Jesus, he is the Messiah. He is the son of God. He would prove just flat out, straight up. I mean, he had a deep understanding. He was a student of Gamaliel. Don't forget. He was a student of Gamaliel. Gamaliel wasn't just like, you know, run-of-the-mill teacher. Gamaliel taught the priesthood. Gamaliel was a teacher of, the, like, you know, when we're talking like high priest and the priesthood, you know, that's Gamaliel. He was a teacher in that. And Paul, a Pharisee of Pharisees of the tribe of Benjamin. He had the goods according to the law. According to the law. And sometimes I have this conversation with the Calvinists and the Reformed theory people. Oh, but God made him a Christian. The Damascus Road, God made him a Christian. Listen, is it hard to kick against the goads? You say that to a Pharisee. They know exactly what you're talking about. The good Pharisees, according to the Old Covenant. Not the blind ones. Is it hard to kick against the goads? Paul made a choice. Paul made his choice, and he chose wisely. You see? You picture Paul. You take Paul. I don't want to say picture Paul, because it's just straight up Paul. He would go into synagogue and prove from the scrolls, from Torah, from the law, from the prophets, from the poetic verses, prove that Jesus is the Messiah. I mean, there might have been like a little debate, but, you know, once he was on, I mean, it was on like Donkey Kong. He would just straight up prove. And you know what? People would come to Christ. 
people would come. Picture that where like synagogue is a packed house. A packed house. It's a packed house one week. And in the middle of the week, Paul comes to town. And by the end of the week, you have like two guys sitting in the pews. Or, you know, standing, you know, the, the, the ones who would sit would be the teachers. But, you know, it would be, be like two guys there. Where before it was a packed house, people would come to listen to, you know, the, the priest say what he has to say and teach on the scrolls and teach this and teach that. You know, no disrespect to the scrolls, but, you know, that's what would happen in synagogue. But picture a packed house. And then Paul comes to town. There's like two guys in there. Because everybody came to Christ. They believe because Paul would prove that Jesus is the Messiah. Well, the religious leaders, you look at how they responded to Paul at the beginning. It's like, okay, it's Paul. You know, let him do his spiel. No big deal. Not to say that spiel, but, you know, let him do his thing. And, you know, no big deal. But then when people came to Christ, when Paul was a baby Christian and he matured and then he became deadly and he would prove that Jesus is the Messiah using the scrolls. Now the religious leaders, they say, okay. Paul would say, you know, a couple years ago, he would say this. And a couple months ago, he would say this. But now he's a threat. So you know what? Now we got to kill Paul. But before killing Paul, let's send him a message. Let's just beat him. You see? They're operating under the rules of engagement of the old covenant. We're just going to give him a beat down. We're just going to stone him. It's the rules of engagement of the old covenant. But because they were blind, they didn't transfer from the old covenant to the new covenant like Paul did. And some other Pharisees, remember the, the, the early church, there was a problem with the people, the believers who were former Pharisees because they didn't want to deny the things that they had been taught. And so they were compelling Christians to be circumcised and follow Moses. And who stood up? Remember the Jerusalem council? Who stood up? Paul. Peter, James, Barnabas. It was a big deal for them. It's no small thing for them. Why? Because they understood formula according to the old covenant and the new covenant. That's fulfillment of the law. You see? Look at their stand against the early Hebrew roots movement. Very important to understand. And so you have Paul. Deadly. Deadly, the good deadly, not the bad deadly. The good deadly means like, you know, he trains warriors and he trains warriors not to, you know, uh, type papers. He doesn't train warriors, you know, how to be admin. No, he trains warriors like how to fight, how to kill, how to be deadly. And when I say kill, metaphysically speaking, kill wolves. He's a teacher. He's a pastor of pastors. I mean, you, you look at Timothy, you look at Titus, you look at Philemon, it's like, okay, these guys are hardcore. Who's their teacher? That's who we're talking about. He didn't train, you know, to, you know, you know, how to, you know, type, how to use a stapler. No, how to use the word of God. Which is sharper than any two-edged sword. Sharper than any two-edged sword. Fully capable to cut deep down to the marrow. It's not like, you know, like, Chop, chop, chop. It's just a quick whoosh, to the marrow. See? And you take Paul, who 
has this deep wealth of knowledge and information and things pertaining to righteousness and things pertaining to holiness and how beautiful it is. But that wealth of information could not be given to the Corinthian saints. Oh, that's so mean. That's so mean. Paul, you're so mean. Look, you have this deep information and yet you're withholding it from the Corinthian saints. Paul, you're so mean. You're so mean. No, there's a disconnect. They're babies. And Paul says to the Corinthian saints in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, listen, I'm paraphrasing, but he says, listen, I came to you with milk when you were new believers and three years later, you're still on milk. You're still babies. I can't give you the deeper things pertaining to matters of righteousness because your babies. What mother, what mother, she has a baby, a baby who's two weeks old. Do you know how foolish the mother would be to hold a pork chop in front of that baby's head? I mean, have like a, you know, she's holding, you know, she has a baby in her left arm. And with her right hand, she's got this big, you know, pork chop in the baby in in her hand. And the baby's in her left arm. You got the little baby mouth, you know, cute, cute little baby. No teeth. And she's holding a, a, a big pork chop in his face. You'd be like, what? But it's food. It, the pork chop is food. Yeah, it's food. But it doesn't apply to the baby. Why? No teeth. You see? It does yeah, the pork chop is so beautiful. It's good, it's tasty, it's you know got a nice little glaze, nice little glaze, nice little, you know, with the uh whatever sauce, and it's so awesome, it smells good, you know, they got the little burns on the side, it's like a little crispy, it's like, oh, it's so delicious. But for the baby, nope. Doesn't doesn't work. The mother would be the fool. No, you have the mom, she has her bottle. The bottle with oh, you know, you know. We'll say bottle, but you have like the, she got the bottle and it's like, you know, it's because the milk is for the baby. And that's what Paul is speaking of. The Corinthian saints, they were babies. You see? And the writer of Hebrews, that's why, you know, there's like little hints like, okay, whoever wrote Hebrews, like he knows his stuff, you know, he knows his stuff. You know, I have a strong I can make a strong case that it's Paul, but it could be Apollos. Those are the two the two biggies that I think you know. You know, Paul or Apollos. Now we can you know we might be at the the marriage supper and you know come to find out it's some guy that we've never heard of before. But I have a hunch it's Paul because there's that deep knowledge of things pertaining to the old covenant and not pertaining to the old covenant to lead to the old covenant, but pertaining to the old covenant to show and prove the beauty of what God has done in fulfillment of the old, in fulfillment of the law, in fulfillment of the promise to Abraham. The order of Melchizedek, that's a priesthood that predates the promise to Abraham. You see? That's an order that predates the law of circumcision. And that's the order that we speak of, the order of Melchizedek, high priest, Jesus Christ. 
You see? And verse 11 here in Hebrews 5, <clears throat> of whom we have much to say. There's a lot to say and hard to explain, which, you know, these things, it translates in the Greek as these things are difficult to explain and lay forth. It, it's, it's not because the matters themselves are difficult. I mean, it's really It's really quite simple. Remember when Paul says it to the Corinthians? He says, you know, there's simplicity in Christ. Simplicity in Christ. And that's when he explains his phobia. I fear for you because you guys are going to move away from the simplicity that is in Christ. And put up with the pseudodelphos. Put up with the false teachers. Put up with the servants of Satan who come with another Jesus, another gospel, and another spirit. But when you boil it down, it's really quite simple. When the Holy Spirit has taught, as the Lord taught Paul. The, the difficulty does not lie in the matters. The difficulty lies with the person. I mean, I'll speak as a fool in saying this. And I speak as a fool in saying this. Emphasis on I speak as a fool in saying this. There are times in a matter of 20 seconds when I know I have to speak to somebody with milk. And I speak as a fool. And there are times when I speak to somebody and in a matter of, say, a minute... I know that we can speak on very deep things, very deep things. And I speak as a fool. The majority are the milk drinkers. That's the majority. The smaller few are the deep spiritual pork chops. You see? Going back to Hebrews chapter 5, verse 11. The writer here says that we have much to say and hard to explain. And it's, it's, it's not that it's difficult to explain. It's, it's really, I mean, when you boil it down, it's, 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 it's so beautiful. It's so simple. It's precise. It's intricate. But it's so beautiful. And it's, so simple. I mean, when the Lord says, you know, uh, uh, my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Jesus doesn't say, hey, you know, believe in me and follow me and, you know, memorize the catechisms. Hey, believe in me and follow me and, you know, write this big report and, you know, go to seminary and do this. And he doesn't say that. He says, believe in me, follow me. Believe in me, abide in me. It's so simple. You see? It's man who likes to introduce the all the intricacies and the difficulties. They introduce, okay, memorize the catechisms. Oh, memorize. You know, one time I was having a conversation with a pastor. Not full package, but he had the pastor parking spot. <laughs> but he, he wasn't full package. He was reformed. But he's telling me, like, how come, how come you don't have like a, a, a membership application for your church? Number one, not my church. What's, 
Where in the Bible do you see a membership application? Where in the Bible? You don't see that. You don't see Pastor Paul writing to Pastor Timothy. Hey, Pastor Timothy, you know, keep the house of God clean. And, you know, for new members, make sure they fill out this application. And you look at applications now for church membership. You see this. But they ask about, you know, where do you work? Where does the husband work? Where does the wife work? If she works, you know, where does it, you know, what's the income? If the kids work, you know, where does their income? Where do they work? Where is this? And, you know, the pastors will say, oh, we just, we just want to make sure that they're accountable. We want to make sure to help them work as unto the Lord. But really, you know what they want to know? They want to know that they're tithing 10%. They want to know, okay, we want to know the husband makes this, the wife makes this, the kids make this, the kid, you know, turned 16, got a new job, and we want to know everything about so we can know that we got to collect our 10%. And we don't get our 10%. We want, we, you know, we want to have a little conversation with the family. We're going to have a like, nice little godly uh, counseling session. Make sure everybody's on the up and up. When really all they're concerned about is their wallet. You know what those are called? Hirelings. They do not care about the sheep. That's what Jesus says. Hirelings don't care about the sheep. They care about their wallets. They care about their belly. Do not follow. They're blind. But that's neither here nor there. Because I teach the remnant. But I'm having this conversation with the pastor. You know he's got the pastor parking spot, but he's not full package as the Bible says. And he was reformed. And he said, you know, how come you don't have the application for, you know, membership? It's not in the Bible. Where, show me in the Bible where there's a membership application for church. Show me in the Bible, pastor. Show me in the Bible. Well, I, you know, I just, you know, we just want to know, you know, we have our pastor, co-pastor, and, you know, we got our the elders, and we just want to know, like, you know, who we want to know who to invest in, who to invest our time in. You know what the Bible says? Every single person that enters that door and joins the fellowship, every single person, young, old, male, female, I don't care, married, unmarried, I don't care, every single soul, every single lamb, every single sheep that enters, you care for, pastor. Every single one. You feed, you protect. You see? That's what the Bible says. Peter, do you love me? Peter, do you love me? Peter, do you love me? Feed my sheep, tend my sheep, feed my lambs. You see? That's what the Bible says. And it just blows me away so much. It blows me away so much because you have churches on every corner. They're everywhere. But when you understand formula, you know what to look for. You know exactly what to look for. The matters, these, these deep spiritual matters that the, the writer of, of, of Hebrews chapter 5 and verse 11, listen, you know, there's, it's hard to explain, but not hard to explain because the difficulty lies with the text, with the scriptures. The difficulty lies with the person. Just like with the, the mom and the baby and the pork chop. You see, the pork chop doesn't fit. The milk does. But 
milk. There's a danger with milk. There is a danger with milk. Milk is beautiful, absolutely beautiful. But remember, it's for babies. It's for babies. As babies grow, what do you see? You see the milk, you see the little Cheerios, you see little little piece of toast, little piece of chicken. And in the course of time, they're able to eat like, you know, the soft meats like fish. And then like in the course of time, they can get down with the pork chop. Because they got the teeth, they got the incisors to tear away the flesh, the incisors and the canines to tear away at the flesh. And then, well, I mean, <laughs> we're not cavemen, but I guess you could use a knife and fork. <laughs> so knife and fork. So, uh, so you get the knife and the fork. So, you know, but they got the molars you know, to, to eat the meat. And, you know, in the course of time, a baby girl can grow up and she can eat the, the pork chop, you know, and it's it's beautiful. And the same thing applies with our walk, with our faith, that yes, certain things are hard to explain. Because like Paul, he's got the wealth of knowledge. He can break it down. He knows the Old Testament. He knows the Torah. He knows the the, uh, 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 the prophets. He knows the poetic verses, which is a gift of the Spirit. Knowledge is a gift. Not the greatest gift, but knowledge is a gift. It's not that Paul who boasts and says, oh, look, I'm so awesome. You know, I know that after my departure that this is going to happen because I'm awesome. No, he's got the goods. He knows it. And not that he's boasting anybody, he knows, look at after my departure. Because when I'm here, that's not happening. When I'm here, I'm going to call you on it. You see? He knows. Remember to the Corinthian saints, he says, you have 10,000 teachers, but one father. And he speaks of himself as father, but, you know, not like the father, but like as a spiritual father. Like, you know, and when he speaks of that, he says, it's like you've traveled through my birth canal. He's male. He has no birth canal. And that's the love that he has for his children in faith. His cho- children of the faith. That's the love that he has for them. You have 10,000 teachers. And little old me. You see? One father. Go on. You know, like a, a, you, you walk into a Christian bookstore. You go into the bookstore and there's 10,000 books. And there's one that's different. One that's better. You see? And here in verse 11, yes, there's much to say. There's that wealth of knowledge. Just that I say wealth of knowledge, but also well of knowledge. The depth of this knowledge. And yes, it's hard to explain. Not because the, the matters are difficult, but whether or not these, these uh, deep matters of righteousness and holiness can they be given like the pork chop and the baby can't be given and that's the problem with babies i mean you when you see how paul taught corinthians you know you guys are on milk and you're still on milk and that's not good and three years later so now we have to separate and you know he speaks to the remnant and he speaks to them differently how paul handles corinth is different than how paul handles the philippians you see compare the teachings compare the the depth of information i mean when you when you read corinthians it's it's kind of basic i i don't mean basic like in terms of like you know like in a disrespectful man i mean basic like you were like in preschool the things taught in first corinthians is like you know we'll say first grade 
Second Corinthians, that's like second grade. But Second Corinthians isn't 100% of the saints. I mean, First Corinthians chapter 1, 2, 3, 4, that's 100% of the saints. Chapter 5, we're not at 100% anymore. Why? Separation. So chapter 6, we're talking remnant. Remnant. We're not at 100% in chapter 6. You see? We're at remnant. Chapter 2, 1 Corinthians chapter 2, remnant. I mean, the, the 1, Corinthians, 1 Corinthians, that's a very basic truth. They're truths. And yes, there's depths to them, but it's basic. But then you look at Philippians, and it's different. Because the Philippians are mature, good pastors, good elders, good overseers. You see? Deadly pastors, deadly overseers. For Paul, when you compare Corinth and Philippi, the difficulty wasn't the matters of doctrine. It was with the saints themselves and whether the deep truths can be given. Can deep truths be received? It depends on the saint. It depends on the saint, just like the baby in the pork chop. Baby and pork chop? No, it doesn't fit. Baby and milk? It fits. Baby's growing and maturing? Baby and pork chop? Okay, now it fits. And that's what this writer is speaking of. In verse 11, Hebrews chapter 5, of whom we have much to say and hard to explain since you have become dull of hearing. Translates in the Greek as become sluggish, lazy, stupid, dull, and slothful. That's what happens to the hearers that this writer of Hebrews is addressing. That's what has happened. We have much to say, hard to explain, but hard to explain not because the subject matter. It's because you have become dull of hearing. You see? You know that how that translates? It translates as an illegitimate child. That's hardcore. So how does this happen? How does this happen? Remember faith? Not faith, period. Faith package deal. And we're just like the number one. We get it. We, we're, you and me, we're going to the burger joint. What do you want? I'll take a number one. I look at you. What do you want? I'll take a number one too. With our ears, it sounds like we're ordering just a singular thing. You know, I'm having a number one, you're having a number one. But we both know, and so does the order taker, and so does the cooks. They know, okay, this guy is ordering number one, this guy is ordering a number one, or, you know, if you're female, this lady's ordering a number one, okay? So, you know, the cooks know. One cook, gonna work on the fries. The other cook's gonna work on the burger, you see, package deal. Faith is a package deal. And what is the package deal? Works. Now, I'm not talking about works like, uh, you know, hey, we got to get, you know, 10 converts today and we got to earn our way to, to heaven. No. But when Brother James writes about works, which is a package deal, faith without works is dead. He equates it to obedience. He points to obedience. Remember? Here in Hebrews 5, verse 9, eternal salvation to all who obey. 
Because if a person says, I believe in Jesus Christ, but I'm going to go do my crack. Well, is belief evoking a response of obedience? Oh, I love Jesus Christ, but I'm going to go, you know, kill this person. I'm going to beat on I'm, I'm going to beat on my wife, cheat on my wife. I believe in Jesus Christ. It doesn't work that way. Where is the obedience? Remember, faith is a package deal. When we when when you see the word faith in the word of God and you read the word faith, remember, 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 remember the hamburger. <laughs> The package deal. Remember the package deal. Just you and me. We get, I'll take a number one. You look at me, I'll take a number one too. We get our number ones. What do we have? We have a package deal. Burger, fries, soda. You see? And when you read the word faith, remember, 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 remember. It's a package deal. And that's works. But not works in terms of earning salvation, earning a way to heaven. No. You know what it is? Obedience. Obedience. Remember, there will be people who say, oh, Lord, we did all these things in your name. And Jesus says, depart from me, you worker of iniquity. Worker of iniquity. You know what that means? No obedience. Well, if there was no obedience, how were they able to do? How were they able to cast out demons? The demons responded to the name of Jesus. You see, the demons responded to the name of Jesus, and not only that, whoever these vessels were, they quenched the spirit of the Lord. And finally, they're standing before the Lord. We did all these things in your name. And Jesus says, depart from me, you worker of iniquity, worker of sin, worker of the flesh, worker of the carnal nature. Oh, but we're not saved by works. We're not saved by works. Absolutely. But the Bible says we're saved for works. When Jesus says, depart from me, you worker of iniquity, where were the works? Where were the works of the spirit? Where, were the, where was the obedience in walking according to the Spirit? They were absent. Either that or quenched, extinguished, and as a result, depart from me. Remember, as the Bible says, names can be blotted out from the book of life. And that's the danger here, as the writer of Hebrews explains. You have become, you know, we have a, a lot to say. There's a lot of wealth and well of knowledge, which is a gift of the Spirit. And it's hard to explain, not because the subject matter is difficult to explain, but it's you. I mean, not you, the listener, but you, the audience in Hebrews. Since you have become dull of hearing, which is to become sluggish, lazy, stupid, dull, and slothful. You see? That's how it happens. No obedience. Oh, I believe in Jesus Christ, but I'm going to go do my crack. Oh, I believe in Jesus Christ, but I'm also going to go to the prostitutes. I believe in Jesus Christ, but I'm also going to do my yoga, my hot yoga. I'm going to do my chakras. I'm going to do my, you know, uh, worship Mary. I'm going to, you know, uh, 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 do the, 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 uh, the Ouija boards. Well, it doesn't work that way. That's disobedience. 
And in closing, look what the writer says here in verse 12. For though by this time you ought to be teachers. You know, I love, I mean, these are very hard-hitting words. You know, you see the boldness of the writer of Hebrews. It's like, oh, this sounds a lot like Paul. Could be one of his students. You ought to be teachers by this time. And I love that. Because there's that expectation of, come on, let's grow. Let's grow and move on. Let's not have no root. Let's have good roots. Because when there's no root, what happens? That's where you have the short-term believers, as Luke chapter 8, verse 13 says, just as we referenced. With no growth, with no maturity, with just milk, there is no root. And in time of temptation, fall away. You look at the case of Corinth. Under the defunct pastors, the defunct elders. I mean, we'll we'll take the guy who's having sex with his dad's wife. And I don't like doing that, but we're going to do that because it's like, you know, it's... The ick factor is off the charts. So you take a guy who's having sex with his dad's wife and takes two to tango. So you have a guy and a gal. Remember, temptation isn't a sin. But how one responds to temptation. You take, before the actual act, the deed, the wicked deed, before that happens, there's the battlefield of the mind. The battlefield of them. People say like, oh my goodness, this guy did his sex. Oh my goodness, this that guy did his crack. Oh my goodness, she did her, you know, her drugs, her alcohol. She did her Ouija boards, her yoga, her chakras, his, uh, you know, the occult, his, whatever he worship, Mary, all these things. Yeah, I, I get it. You know, that's bad. I'm not trying to gloss over it and say that that's not bad. But before that, precursory to the actual deed, the actual act of the sin. There's precursory trespass, which happens in the mind. Disobedience in the mind. Because the Bible says in 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 5, to bring every thought into captivity, into the obedience of Christ. Every thought. To obedience. Every thought. It's like a filter. The filter is the word of God. Don't forget in Philippians chapter 4 verse 8 that whatever things are true, noble, just, pure, lovely, of good report, virtuous, and praiseworthy, meditate on these things. That's the mind of the Christian. That's the mind of the saint. But when the mind of the saint is it's thinking about the sex, the drugs, the alcohol, the strippers, the pornography, the Ouija boards. Before the act, before the deed, there's disobedience in the mind. Disobedience in the mind. The deed, I mean, that's... The deed is a sin. Egregious, you know, and, and, and you know, whatever it is, it's It's sin. 
But in this example, we're giving, I mean, I say example, but it really happened in Corinth. But I say example, just, you know, for us to understand this. But I, 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 actually, I shouldn't even say example. You take the guy in Corinth who's having sex with his dad's wife. It takes two to tango. So you take him and her. There's the act of the sin, which is egregious. And this is inside the church. This isn't like, well, you know, I heard this is this happened to, you know, these non-believers in Corinth. No, this happened with believers inside the church in Corinth. So you take the act. And before the act, there was temptation. And temptation isn't a sin. But how each, the male and female, responded to that temptation. They didn't use the word of God as the filter in their mind. They didn't bring every, not like, you know, bring your, bring, bring a thought about, um, uh, anger. Uh, bring every thought about anger into captivity to the obedience of Christ. No. The Bible straight up says, bring every thought. Be it anger, rage, sex, drugs, alcohol, the whole nine yards, whatever it is, bring every thought into captivity, into the obedience of Christ. You see, what's going on in the mind? I've heard ministry leaders tell me, oh, I I, I should be a producer with pornography movies. What? What? And you're leading worship? You're teaching children? And your mind is so filthy that you... You tell me by your own admission you should be producing pornography movies? Disobedience in the mind. The church is in trouble. The last days church... I mean, the church 10 years ago was in trouble. The church 20 years... I mean, in the case of Galatia, the church 20 years... 2,000 years ago, give or take a couple years... In the case of Corinth, the church 2,000 years ago was in trouble. You fast forward into the future. I mean, look at Corinth. When, uh, 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 when, when Paul came to town the first time, he gave milk. And in just three years, look at what happened in Corinth. In less than six years, look at what happened with Galatia. When Paul says to the saints in Galatia, I marvel that you are turning away so soon from Jesus. You see? Disobedience in the mind. A mind that is thinking about sex. A mind that is thinking about drugs. Oh, my next hit. I can't wait till the next time I'm cooking spoons. I can't wait till the next time I'm doing my lines. I can't wait till the next time, you know, I'm with the strippers. I'm with the prostitutes. I'm with the Ouija boards. I'm with the occult. Oh, I'm spiritual. I can't wait to see, be with my chakras, my, my crystals. This is inside the church. Corinth is Corinth. The world is the world. I'm talking about inside the church. You see? And that's what the writer of Hebrews is talking about. Yeah, we, we have a lot to, verse 11, we have a lot to say. And you know what? These, these are hard to explain. Not that the actual subject matter is difficult, but do these, this wealth of information and this wealth of knowledge, 
Does it apply to you in your present state? And the answer is no. Why? Verse 11 reveals because you become dull of hearing. You become sluggish, lazy, stupid, dull, and slothful. That's the works of the flesh. That's how a Christian becomes stupid, becomes lazy, becomes slothful, becomes sluggish, becomes dull. It's the works of the flesh. Oh, but we're not saved by works. Okay. My pastor says we're not saved by works and that's it. Let's call it a day. Let's put a lid on it. Nope. Doesn't work that way. Because the Bible says we're saved for works. It's the works of the Lord. You see? How can anybody do the works of the Lord without obedience unto the Lord? You see? It's impossible. Oh, but we have the seal of the Spirit. So did the, so did the elders. In Acts 20, so did the elders. They had the Spirit too, and they became wolves. Oh, but Jesus won't lose any of us. The Bible says Jesus won't lose any the Father has given him. Just like the baby girl example. Baby girl, stay here. I go to prepare a place for you. You come back, baby girl's gone. You did not lose her. Baby girl walked away. You see? It's so powerful. When we understand the formula and the word of God, the, the rules of engagement and the covenants, it's so beautiful what the Lord has done. It's so beautiful what the Lord has done. And so we continue here. The writer here in verse 12, by this time you ought to be teachers. You need someone to teach you again the first principles of the oracles of God. I mean, picture a guy or a gal. You know, I always say guys, but, you know, we'll throw in some gals from, you know, from time to time. But maybe in another example. <laughs> here we have, Say you have a guy who is in preschool. In first grade, second grade, you know, preschool, kindergarten, first grade, second grade, third grade, fourth grade, fifth grade. And you think like, wow, this guy's moving along quite nicely. But then all of a sudden is in, is going to advance to sixth grade, but gets thrown all the way back to preschool. That's what's happening here. You need someone to teach you again the first principles of the oracles of God. The beginning elements of the oracles of God. I mean, you have, for example, you have preschoolers and preschoolers. They get they, they, the preschoolers and they're in preschool. They got the little tables and the little chairs. They get the crayons. They're learning the alphabet. Beautiful little children. And it's beautiful. I mean, when, when you see children, it's, it's, it's beautiful. They're learning. And you're just looking across the classroom and you say, okay, you know, little kid there, little boy there, little girl there, and they're laughing and they're coloring and they're, it's so beautiful. And you're just panning from left to right. You're like, okay, you know. Then you come, you're like, this is kind of odd. You see a full-grown male sitting in a chair. Full-grown male can barely fit in the desk. I mean, his belly is like hanging over the desk. And, you know, he's got a full beard. And and then you look at you know, the, the, the full-grown female sitting in the other chair. And it's just like they, they can barely fit in there. Because they're little preschooler chairs, little preschooler tables. What happened? 
Well, verse 11 says, they became sluggish, lazy, stupid, and dull, and slothful. You see, are they illegitimate? Potentially, yes. I say potentially illegitimate. This is something that only Jesus can judge. Only Jesus can judge that illegitimacy. You know, sometimes you speak with the Calvinists, the Calvinists and the Reformers, Reformed theory people. They say like, oh, you know, he was never saved. She was never saved. Well, yeah, they were. Yeah, they were. But based on their theory, they say, well, he was never a believer. She was never a believer. But they willfully forget what Luke 8 says in verse 13. They believed for a while. Short-term believer. But because the Calvinist and the Reformed theory person, because they tack on all these other false teachings of, you know, once saved, always saved, so therefore he was never a believer. Once saved, always saved, well, she was never really a believer. Without understanding, listen, once saved, always saved, unbiblical. It's a lie. Once saved, always saved. It's a lie. You see? Oh, he was never really saved. She was really never saved. Now, when you hear somebody say that, well, he was never really a believer. She was never really a believer. When you hear somebody say that, nine times out of ten, you're talking to a Calvinist, which is a lie from the pit of hell. And it's not that I say this to come against Calvinism. Well, I am against Calvinism. But as more Calvinists are jumping ship and aligning themselves with the word of God, where before, like, you know, several years ago, I would have, you know, conversations with the Calvinists and it would be not combative, but just like a little tension in the air. But now there's more Calvinists who are like, well, you know what? Tell me more about this. Tell me more about this. And that's why we speak about the Calvinism and the Reformed theory, because to have this understanding of, you know, yes, jump ship. But when we speak about, you know, welcome aboard, you know, there is a better way. And when we speak about these things, to understand that, yes, this yoke is easy and this burden is light. But remember the Pharisees who became Christians? They didn't let go of their former ways and they wanted to compel the Christians. They took it upon themselves to go to other, you know, to, to go to fellowships and compel believers a Get circumcised and follow Moses. Let's do the deeds of Moses. Why? Because the Pharisees, they became Christians, but they didn't deny the former ways. And so when we speak about Calvinists and Reformed theology, it's not to hammer a point that it's wrong, even though it's wrong, but it's to gently say, listen, you have to let go of your former beliefs. And as more Calvinists join the camp, there's to understand, listen, we got to cut this, that there's no umbilical cords. You know, listen, this tie to Calvinism, this tie to reform theory, that's over. That's done with. You see, because we are new creations in Christ. And we move on to perfection. So in this example we gave where you have a full grown male and a full grown female, and, you know, their tummies are hanging over the tables because they're little preschooler dance, uh, tables. Are they illegitimate? And you hear us say, potentially, yes. 
Because only Jesus, Jesus can judge. Only Jesus can judge. But there's fruit. Jesus says, judge the fruit. We can look at the fruit. The fruit is evident. No obedience. And with no obedience, you see, wow, they become sluggish, they become lazy, they become stupid, they become dull, they become slothful. You see, and that happens in the, you know, we give this example of preschoolers, and you know, they're fully grown adults and their bellies hang over the table, but the same thing happens in the faith. And they can know the Bible all they want. Sometimes you have people, oh, you know, I'm, I, I'm, I know the Bible like the back of my hand. You know, don't come at me with this because I know the Bible. I went to Bible college. I went to seminary. I went to theology school. Don't come at me with this because, listen, you don't know anything about the Bible, but I know a lot about the Bible. You know who's in the worst position? The person who says that. You know why? Because it makes it worse because they know. And knowing, they choose to disobey. You see, and these are things that we're going to cover more in future chapters, but that's a big deal. I mean, if you're a baby in Christ, let's just be straight up. I mean, if you're a brand new Christian, you became a Christian, you know, like, you know, last week or today even, you know, praise the Lord. You're a baby. And I don't mean that to be mean, like say, hey, you're a baby. But let's be straight up. You're a baby in Christ. And I love you. And, you know, let's grow. Let's mature together. Let's advance. Let's become deadly together. But as it is today, you're a baby. And you have to be honest and be like, listen, I'm a baby. I have no, I have no issue with that. You're a baby. Let's be straight up. You're a baby. But if you're a baby and you want to lie about it and say you're mature, That's not good. That's not good at all. Or if you think you're mature because you know what the Bible says and you don't do what the Bible says, well, you know what Paul says to Timothy? He says a person who does that, especially with his family, is worse than a non-believer. We're talking about inside the church. And the Bible says that's worse than being a non-believer. Because the knowledge is there. But the choice to disobey is also there. That's not good. And you have people today who boast, oh, I know the Bible, I went to Bible college, oh, look, I got my degree in, you know, XYZ school of theology, oh, I went to seminary, this. Okay, okay, okay. Let's look at the deeds. You see? We have to look at the fruit. Jesus says, look at the fruit. You'll know by the fruit. Judge the fruit. And the writer of Hebrews says, listen, you need someone to teach you again, back to preschool, the first principles of the oracles of God in verse 12. And you have come to need milk and not solid food, not solid food, not solid food. You know how that translates in the Greek? Not the steadfast nourishment of meat. Not the steadfast nourishment of meat. That's how it translates in the Greek. 
So this writer of Hebrews is saying, by this time, you ought to be teachers. I don't know how long. It might have been like, you know, two years, five years, 10 years. Uh, 10 years is kind of pushing it. It's probably like less than five years, probably five or, you know, within that, within 10 years, I would say it's kind of pushing it. But by this time, you ought to be teachers. But as a result of stupidity and laziness, which is not applying the word of God. Remember, don't forget, faith is a package deal. Faith is a package deal. And faith without works. I'll put it another way. Since Brother James likens it to obedience when he references uh, 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 Abraham and Isaac. Faith without obedience is dead. Dead faith. Dead faith is entirely possible. And it happens when there's no obedience to the word of God. Oh, you're teaching works-based salvation. You're teaching works-based salvation. No, it's what the Bible says. Remember verse 9? Eternal salvation, no period. Eternal salvation to all who obey him. Point blank. That's what the Bible says. I'm just a messenger. I'm just a messenger. You see? And so this writer of Hebrews says, by this time you ought to be teachers. But with the stupidity and the laziness and not applying the word of God. Remember, being a hearer only and not a doer, what Paul warns against. Then the writer of Hebrews is saying to Christians, to believers, the spiritual meat, it's not for you. The spiritual meat, the steadfast nourishment of meat, it's not for you. Only the milk. You see? Verse 12, listen, you gotta, you gotta, instead of going on to fifth, sixth, seventh grade, no, we got to go back to preschool and you need the bottle again. Back to milk. No, no meat. Verse 13, in closing, for everyone who partakes, everyone who partakes only of milk. Now, understand, milk is beautiful. Absolutely beautiful. But remember, milk is good for babies. See, people say, oh, ignorance is bliss. Ignorance is bliss. No, ignorance is stupid. It is the way of the fool. And the writer here says, everyone who partakes only of milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness, for he is a babe. He's a baby. This is what happened in Corinth. This is exactly what happened in Corinth under the leadership of the defunct pastors and the defunct elders. Not full package. Those pastors were definitely not full package. Philippi, full package. Corinth, not full package. I mean, full package was in Chloe's house. But remember, she has limitations to, you know, pastoral ministry. You know, she has limitations. No pastoral ministry. She can teach females, but she has no authority over the men. You see? That's what the Bible says. As teacher, you know, no teaching authority over the men. But, you know, like when in the case of... Uh, 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 Phoebe, remember Phoebe? She's female, and Paul says, Hey, she's with me. You see, male covering. She's with me. And he says to the saints in Rome, He says, Listen, do what she says. Whatever she needs, do, do as she says, because she's with me. She's working as unto the Lord. She's advancing the kingdom of God. You see? 
It's beautiful. It's so powerful. It's, it's, you know, we serve a God of order. I mean, it's, it's exquisitely, beautifully, wonderfully incredible. And it's so simple. It's intricate. Yes. I'll give you that. It is intricate, but it's simple. It's simple. And what happened in Corinth is the partaking only of milk, just like what verse 13 says here, is unskilled in the word of righteousness, for he's a babe. Paul says, listen, I got the pork chops, but I can't give them to you. I'm paraphrasing, but that's the gist of what he says to the saints in Corinth. The saints, what's, what happened to the saints in Corinth is what's happening to what this writer of Hebrews is addressing. Ignorant and inexperienced in the word. Which the word of God is the sword of the spirit as Ephesians chapter 6 verse 17 reveals. I mean, understanding that the word, which is sharper than any two-edged sword and the sword of the spirit is the word of God as revealed in Ephesians 6, but Understanding that, and in light of that, let me ask you a question. What's frightening about a baby with a sword in its hands? What's frightening? Well, they can't pick it up. I mean, it's just like, you know, crawling on top of a sword, and the hand just happened to be on top of the handle. But what's frightening about that? What's frightening about that? I mean, it's frightening for the baby because he or she can cut himself. But what's frightening in terms of the threat upon anybody? I'll give you the answer. Nothing. Nothing. Yeah, there's a baby. Yeah, there's a sword. But what is that sword in the hand of that baby? Not a threat. Remember the demon? When the demon to the sons of Siva, Jesus we know, Paul we know, but who in the world are you? You see, the demons knew Jesus, the demons knew Paul. Why? They were deadly. Jesus we know, Paul we know, but who in the world are you? Now, in the same example, the baby is not a threat because the baby can't even pick up the sword. Maybe the little baby hands can't even fit around the, the grip of the sword. But that baby grows up. The hands get bigger, the arms get bigger, the... The, the muscles get bigger, the baby gets taller, all these things happen. Understanding sets in. The baby grows up, no longer a baby, learns how to fight. Male or female, remember in Christ there is no male nor female, no Jew nor Gentile, no slave nor free. That baby, male or female, grows up, learns how to fight to be skillful in handling that sword. Now, it's a different ballgame. It's a completely different ballgame. These are straight-up warriors. That baby, baby girl or baby boy? Warrior. No longer baby. You see, full-grown, mature, deadly. These are warriors. This is Paul. This is Chloe. This is Titus. This is Timothy. This is Priscilla. Warrior, I mean, straight up warriors, like, you know, Jesus we know, Paul we know, Chloe we know, Titus we know, Priscilla we know, Timothy we know, but who in the world are these other guys? You see, these are straight up warriors. 
They had their time with milk. I mean, Paul, Chloe, Titus, Timothy, Priscilla, they had their time with milk. But they came to the point where they were able to eat those deep spiritual pork chops, the deep spiritual porterhouse steaks. They could tear away at the (laughs) knife and fork, you know. We'll use the knife and fork. They could eat, they got the molars there. They could eat that steak. I'll tell you something that's sad for me, for me personally, if I can reveal my phobia to you. And that's when baby Christians speak about spiritual warfare. Now, baby Christians, they're Christians. Spiritual warfare is very true. But whether or not that baby can engage in spiritual warfare like he or she thinks he or she can, that's different. Because if they're not equipped, they will lose. If they are ill-equipped, they will lose. If they are without understanding, they will lose. You see? And it hurts. It pains me. When you understand formula, you know what to look for. Without understanding of spiritual warfare, nor matching the skill necessary to engage in spiritual warfare. And you know, it's sad on many levels. But it's also very dangerous because the assumed warrior is less of a warrior and more of a casualty waiting to happen. And I don't mean to get carnal in saying this, but you take a 15-year-old kid and you put him on the front lines of a severe battlefield. Well, that's a casualty waiting to happen. And I don't mean to be carnal and I don't mean to be, you know, to, 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 to use worldly examples in saying this, but that kid is a casualty waiting to happen. But... You take that 15-year-old and you teach him. He learns. He reaches a certain age and he enlists. He's trained up on certain things. He goes to a specialty school and that specialty is war fighting. He learns and then learns about weapon systems. He goes and he learns about vehicles. Say he's going to be on a, on a vehicle handling weapon systems that are attached to a, 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 a certain vehicle. So he has all this time learning, all this time training. Now that battlefield that was once that was once very dangerous to him. Now he's the danger on the battlefield. In a good way. The good dangerous. He's not a liability to the team. You see? Before, when he wasn't ready for that, you know, he was a baby. If it's female, she was a baby. You know what the remedy is? Spiritually speaking, you know what the remedy is? Find a full package pastor. You'll understand what the full package is when you listen to the pastoral studies. You listen to the studies through Timothy and Titus, 1 Timothy, 2 Timothy, Titus, and Philemon. Because when you find the full package pastor, he will teach you. He will show you. 
That's what the Lord has called him to do. Keeping the house of God clean. Let's get you cleaned up. You see? Just like in the Old Testament. And I'm not advocating the law and saying this, but that framework, that example, it's for us today, not under the framework of the that priesthood and Levitical priesthood and Kohanim, but the high priest in the order of Melchizedek. You see? Understand here in closing, verse 14, but solid food, remember the steadfast nourishment of meat belongs to those who are of full age. That translates in the Greek as complete in mental and moral character. That's what the meat is for. A man, woman, male, female, young, old, it doesn't matter. I know 15-year-olds who are more mature than 50-year-olds. Spiritually mature. You see? And solid food belongs to those who are of full age, complete in mental and moral character. That is, those who by reason of use translates as through practice and habit. And this happens when a person yields to the word of God. Remember, obedience is a learned thing. A learned thing. And through practice and habit. I mean, you take a person who knows nothing about tennis or nothing about soccer or nothing about golf or nothing nothing about baseball or football but in the course of time they can be like through practice through habit they can learn they can work out the kinks but the same thing ha- happens in our walk with the lord in fellowship And when I say fellowship, I'm speaking about ecclesia, a body of those who are called. You see? A formula in sanctuary. A formula in mind. Formula in leadership and everything. Formula, formula, formula. And what's the formula? Holiness unto the Lord. And with the union of this comes the transformation. I'm at Romans 12, verse 2. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. By the renewing of your mind. You take the guy in Corinth who's having sex with his dad's wife. It takes two to tango. You take those two. Was there renewing of the mind? No. You take before the actual act of the sin. Was there renewing of the mind? No. Why? Because the temptation was there, but their response to the temptation was disobedience in the mind. Because before a deed... There is the battlefield of the mind. You see? Before the battlefield of the mind is the presentation of the choice. This is righteous. This is wicked. Balls in your court. You see? You ever see Christians today? They're believers. 
and say they were, you know, sex, drugs, alcohol, the Ouija boards, gambling, casinos, the whole nine yards. And they've been a Christian for 10 years. And what do you see? Sex, drugs, alcohol, gambling, casinos, Ouija boards, the occult. No change. No renewing of mind. You know what that means? The old nature, the old man, the old woman is still alive. That's dangerous. Because the Bible says, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And we make very heavy emphasis. That's Paul who says that on himself. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. When there's no transformation, that verse is not effectuated in such a person. Because they're still alive. They're not crucified with Christ. The old nature is still alive. They might believe, but remember, they might have the faith. But it's a package deal. It's a package deal. Where is obedience? Remember Hebrews chapter 5 verse 9, what we looked at in verse 9? Eternal salvation to all who obey. That's why Jesus says, if you love me, follow me. You see? And you see Christians, no change in the old nature. And I don't want to say, how dare you, how dare you, how dare you, how dare you, to them. I don't want to say that to them, to that Christian, to that saint, that believer. I don't want to say, how dare you, to them. But what I do want to say is, Appointment to their pastor. Who in the world is their pastor? I'll wait in the parking lot. Who is the, the pastor parking spot and who's going to exit the, the building and walk to that car? Not to confront him like, you know, with me, with fists or anything. But to the assumed pastor, go to him and say, how dare you? How dare you? Because you have saints. The flock of God, not the flock of a pastor. The flock of God. These are God's people who are ill-equipped for the times. Not prepared for the times in which we live. You see? Today, saints are unaware. Babies, a lot of babies. They've been primed for prophetic fulfillment. Prophetic fulfillment. They've been primed for it. You know what the prophecy is? It's the prophecy of the great falling away. Not great in terms of good. Great in terms of vast. People get mad at me. Oh, you're so doom and gloom. You're so doom and gloom. Don't blame me. Don't blame me. Blame the times. We're not in Kansas anymore. It's a different ballgame. You see, solid food in verse 14, Hebrews 5 verse 14, solid food belongs to those who are of full age, that is, those who by reason of use have their senses exercised. This I love this because their senses exercised. This senses is the organ of perception. 
the organ of perception. Like the organ, you have like the heart and the liver and the spleen and, you know, other organs. But the organ of per- perception is exercise. You know what exercise in the Greek? Exercise in the Greek is to practice and train naked. Now, don't let your mind go into crazy town here. But you ever see professional athletes? And they wear like special clothing. And the reason why they have their special clothing is because it limits the frictions that are caused by fra- fabrics. But that's how it translates in the Greek. It's to practice and train naked. And that's how you, they, that's how they used to fight in like the, the old school Olympic games. They would have like, they would like, in some games, they would be like naked or, you know, they would have like, you know, like, you know, like, uh, uh, uh like, uh, like, like, very limited clothing to cover certain things, but you know, a lot of their games, they would be naked. It was to limit that friction and don't let your mind go off into crazy town. Like runner shorts. You see runner shorts? It's like, wow, those are, those are pretty, <laughs> almost nothing. But the runner shorts, so you have like a full stride without any type of friction caused by the fabric. And I love that. Because for you and me, What about the frictions that limit us, spiritually speaking? What about those frictions that limit you and me? When the organ of perception is exercised in a manner that is pleasing to God, sacrificially as a sweet aroma unto Him, something else happens. And not just maturity but becoming deadly, the good deadly, like Priscilla and Chloe and Paul and Timothy and Titus, the good deadly, the wolf killers, metaphysically speaking, but wolf killers nonetheless. Emphasis on metaphysically. (laughs) And that's what the writer is saying here in verse 14. That's what solid, that's what the pork chops in the porterhouse is for. By full age, those who, by reason of use, have their senses exercised to discern, which is judicial estimation, discernment. Biblically, this discernment must be shrouded and encompassed with truth. The truth of God's holy word. Understanding the covenants, the framework of the covenants, the rules of engagement within the covenants. Remember, it's Jesus Christ when it's his disciples that ask, what are the signs of your coming and the signs of the end? And Jesus says, there will be many Christs, many false prophets, many false teachers, but he says, many Christs. So picture that for a moment, if you will. A lineup of 1,000 Christs. They all look the same. They all dress the same. Many Christs. And all of them, every single one of those thousand Christs, all of them receive worship. Except this. With all of them, it is idolatry. Except for one. How will you know? How will you know? Let's be straight up. How will you know? A lineup of a thousand Christs. All of them receive worship. 
and 999. It's idolatry and it leads to hell. But there's one. And the Bible says his word is above his name. That's how you'll know. Genesis to Revelation. His word is above his name. That's how you and me know. See, faithful shepherds teach Genesis to Revelation. Faithful shepherds. Sound doctrine. Remember Paul says to Timothy, teach sound doctrine for in so doing you'll save yourself and those who hear you. Sound doctrine. You know what to look for. Many Christ. It's one of the signs of the last days. Someone says, oh, I'm a Christian. I'm a Christian. Let's go grave soaking. You know what grave soaking is? It's the, the main major denominations. Redding, California. Grave soaking. And they go to the cemetery. And they lay on the graves of dead people. And the reason why is because they say they want to soak up the Holy Spirit that was in them. Let me tell you something. The Spirit of the Lord is not with the dead. He's with the living. That's necromancy and abomination. That's a different Jesus. That's a different Jesus. A different gospel. A different spirit. You see? And yet, that's like mega church. You see? Good old Redding, California. You see? Just as the Bible says, my people perish for lack of knowledge, there is nothing new under the sun. Where is discernment in these last days? The falling away is called great, not because it's good. The falling away is called great because it's vast. And yet solid food belongs to those who are of full age, that is, those who by reason of use have their senses exercised to discern both good and evil. And this is when the saint becomes deadly. The good deadly, like Paul, like Chloe, like Titus, like Priscilla. That's what happens when we move away from milk and we move on to perfection. One might say that's a big task. That's a big task. It's too difficult. Not really. Abide in Christ. Abide in Christ. You and me, we abide in Christ. And don't forget, we have the helper, the Holy Spirit. To the beautiful people of the way, a remnant of these last days, God bless you. I love you.